Hello, listeners. Denrock here with another episode of the Borderlands podcast. Tonight, I've got a an awesome guest. I've been waiting for weeks to get into the studio. A uh, good buddy of mine. I only met him uh, way, way late in my adult life. I felt like we did a whole lot of hanging out uh, before I left the workplace with him. Um, we'll talk about a couple of his passions, that being motorcycling, jeeping. We'll probably get into some other hobby stuff. Um, but I'd like you to welcome Aaron Moore, my friend. What's up, brother? Oh, not much. I feel like you're giving me way too much credit. Here. <laughs> well, glad to have you here. Uh, I feel like we don't see enough of each other anymore, but we both work at uh, like opposite ends of the state. It feels like opposite ends of the universe. Might as well um, be. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really missed the crew at Cabell Huntington. Um, it was heartbreaking to have to go elsewhere. I mean, I like my job now, but um, that pack is not the same without you guys. Um but I'll tell you what, the, the pack, you must be universally a, a crew of oddballs, like, you know, a I, bunch of characters. I totally agree with so that. There, there are some characters in Charleston. I love them to death, but like nothing could compare to you guys in Huntington. So you've been well? Oh, not too bad. Good. Um, Yeah, we had you out here. I was hoping you might ride up on that uh, two-wheeler you had, but it's pouring the rain outside. Well, well the seven and a half hours <laughs> I got stuck in the hurricane last week was enough uh, for me. Uh, I decided to uh, bring the Jeep up today. Yeah, which, what storm did you get caught in? The Sally? Her, Sally. Sally, that's right. Yeah, it, uh, I took off from camp. Uh, I actually did a little bit of motorcycle camping outside of Lynchburg, Virginia. And was going down to outside of Charlotte. And I packed up my tent, put it in the saddlebag, hopped on the road for about five minutes, and then it pissed forward for seven and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am... Um, when I bought my first bike, I bought a rain suit with it. I think it's still in the original packaging. Like I've never got it out, never put it on. And, um, I've never actually rode in the rain. Like I've never left the house while it's raining. I've been, I've been caught out in the rain some, yeah. but my, my MO is I'll pull over under a bridge or at a gas station and wait it out, man. I can't stand to <laughs> riding that stuff. It gets in my eyes. It hurts the face. Um, but you wear that, um, you wear that full, yeah, I'll start wearing uh, full helmet, right? Here, yeah, here last few months, and I bought a grain suit which kept my legs dry, but mm-hmm. uh, the seams leaked, so I was still soaked. Yeah, I the, I remember the one time where I was riding back from uh, my buddy's house out in Wayne, and there really wasn't it. It started pouring the rain, like visibility was I don't know, not a hundred feet maybe, yeah. and um, there was nowhere to pull over between Wayne and this house, and um, so I just kept you know just kept riding. And at some point, I realized my boots were full of water. Oh, yeah. When you get home, you pour them out. Yeah. Been there. And, uh, oh, my gosh, it's miserable. Yeah. I found out that my waterproof boots and my waterproof gloves, not waterproof. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what was happening to me was uh, it was all just running down my legs into yeah. the boots. I, at the time, I was wearing those uh, just pull-on, mm-hmm. uh, like, calf-length uh, boots, like oh, like cowboy boots, essentially. Yeah. And uh, it was just running down my legs, and they, it, those things filled up. I think they were overflowing. Like, there was stuff <laughs> dripping out of the boots. There's uh, nothing like, you know, moving your toes and 
It feels like they're in water. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I want to um, get into this with you, the, the motorcycle thing. We can start with that. Um, as far as I know, you're relatively new to it. Or had you had you rode one before? I had ridden one for a short period of time. About Or did you own one? Before? I never owned one. Uh, my buddy Ryan, which you've met, yeah, yeah. Um, he had one that I started out on. It was a 80... 86 i think suzuki intruder 1400 mm-hmm. i rode it for probably six eight months um and then got out of it for a few years and then i've been back in it uh it's going on almost two years now yeah and you started out with what sort of bike just uh it was a intruder which is uh, no i mean this this go around oh this go around i started out with a suzuki uh c50t the little 800 cc uh touring bike for suzuki and Oh, I didn't know you had that one. I thought you went. Oh, I, only had I thought you for, started with that. Um, the Road uh, King. The Road King. Yeah. Well, I had the Suzuki for about all of about a month because <laughs> you get on the interstate. And it sounded like a sewing machine. It was pissed off uh, at seventy miles an hour, and uh, I got rid of it because, well, I'm way too fat for that small of a bike. And yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's what I feel like. I would love to ride a crotch rocket. I mean, I'm being serious. I think they they sound great. They perform awesome. Oh, yeah. But it's it's just not the yeah, fit for my yeah. body style. I would look like an elephant riding a freaking football. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to be able to get that low in corners without you know dragging peg. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, and then so you spent how many months on that Road King? Uh, Several, had, almost a year. It was I had almost, almost a year. year. I may have acted had it. Actually, I think I had it over a little over a year, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Um, but it being like a five speed, you know, you're. And it was the smaller engine, and yeah, what was the displacement on that? It one? was an eighty-eight okay. cubic inch. It was the first, the first generation of the twin cam, mm-hmm. um, and it was just after it about killed me um, outside of Buckhannon. I decided <laughs> ah, I think I'll trade it in for something else. <laughs> yeah, what happened there? Uh, I had a, it had spoke wheels. It was Road King Classic, mm-hmm. so it had the leather saddlebags and had the windshield and had the spoke wheels with the white walls. Well, you know they have their tube tire. So evidently I hit a pothole somewhere outside of Lewisburg and it bent one of the spokes mm. and ended up going breaking and going through the tube. So at 60 miles an hour, the uh, back tire went instantly flat. Blowout. Yeah. Gosh. And uh, went to the death wobble and <laughs> I was looking over a guardrail going, well, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt really bad. Mm. And uh, after that, I actually brought it back home, put a new wheel on it, uh, an actual solid wheel, but just still wasn't the same. And that's, after that's when I started running the full face. You didn't crash, though. No, I you, kept it you, up. You kept up right. Well, that's awesome. And then rode it for five miles on a flat. I've always wondered if, um, you know, if some situation arose where I was maybe going to go down, if I would be able to save it, or if I went down, like, do I go down correctly? Like, the, the stuff that goes yeah. through my mind when I'm riding these machines, which, by the way, hasn't been enough lately. <laughs> um, it's crazy. So... Gosh, I didn't realize it was so easy to break a spoke on one of those wheels. Well, when you're my that seems kind of nuts. Well, I read that the people had had that problem with the Harley Air Ride, um, the factory, the old school suspension they used. Mm-hmm. Um, some people in, on some of the Facebook groups talked about how the suspension, you'd hit a bump and it would just bottom out and cause the spokes to bend. Hmm. Plus it being a bike, you know, the wheel was excuse me, uh, 14 years old. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like these couple of bikes I have, they're... They're big. Uh, they're not spoke wheels. I, I don't know what you would call them. Um, metal. They're the, yeah, the, the mag wheels. <laughs> mag wheels, yeah. Um, and, man, I, I'm telling you what, um, I believe it was the very last time I rode that soft tail. I could not avoid this huge gaping hole in the road. 
there's a car coming at me just the wrong place, wrong oh, yeah. time. Couldn't get to a good spot. And I hit that thing full speed. And uh, what I tried to do was just like uh, load the shocks. Like I, I stood up on the bike, mm-hmm. so like loading them. And then I thought like, you know, it's going to, then it'll kind of come up a little bit. I don't think that helped because I heard the exhaust pipe scrape. Um, I know the suspension bottomed down on it and I felt like it was wobbly on the way home. And, um, I haven't been on it since then. I want to, <laughs> I want to take it to the shop and have someone look at it yeah. before I get on it again. It worries me. Um, and especially that bike, I don't know why I'm so concerned about it, but I feel like there's just no, not as much protection on that one as there is on the, uh, the, the street glide where, yeah, we get that. um, I feel like that's the type of bike where you could lay it on its side and still come out relatively okay. As long as you, I think as long as you stayed on the bike. Yeah. Right. I think getting tossed from it is where you get hurt. Probably. Yeah. High center would be probably the absolute worst. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But, and I'm telling you what, like I've seen all these videos, my my Facebook feed for some reason is filled with Moto (laughs) GP. Have you ever seen those guys crash? Oh, those, yeah, those guys are insane. And those guys are crashing at 100 plus miles an hour. And then hop right up. Yeah. And they get back <laughs> on the bike and get back on the track. <laughs> it's like, I saw one one time a guy wrecked, like slid, and somehow he ended back up. Like he wrecked the bike and never stopped. Like just hopped back on the bike while he yeah. was sliding and took right back off. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, on this video the other day, um, two bikes in, in MotoGP crashed, and one of the bikes like ran into the other causing it to fly up in the air and go over the wall at the edge of the track. Well, it's rider, you know, after he rolled through the gravel and all that, he stands back up and he's looking around for his bike. Like he's wanting to get back on it, get back in a competition. I guess someone comes (laughs) over and says, Hey, your bike's gone. (laughs) And you can see him. He just like, he face palms, you know, through his helmet. I'm like, that's just amazing. Those guys, they don't break any bones. No road rash. I mean, it's all about the equipment. Oh yeah, um, well, they're riding the full leathers, and yeah, most yeah. of them have the airbags. And, yeah, yeah. yeah their, um, their equipment costs more than my bike does. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you've logged like a crazy amount of miles on these bikes, haven't you? Oh, I've had this bike since July fourth, and I've put right at six thousand miles on it. Holy crap! Just just a hair. I less. think. Um, oh my gosh! I bit through one of my fingernails. I'm bleeding. Um. <laughs> I bet you both of my bikes, I don't have a sum total of 6,000 miles on them. I forget how many I had in my Road King. I had I had quite a few on the Road King. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, that's one of the things I wanted to get into with you. Like, you are living an actual motorcycle lifestyle. Me, I think I just bought them because they look cool and they sound cool. And, uh, but no, in all honesty, I got, I got these bikes because I had a, a passion for the Harley Davidson. Um, and we're going to get into this argument too in, in just a little bit. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, as a young adult, my vision of a street bike was the Batwing fairing oh, yeah. on the Street Glide Harley Davidson. And there was no other motorcycle as far as I was concerned. Like, I was never going to own a, you know, a sports bike. I was never going to own, you know, a, a Honda V twin, oh, yeah. Suzuki V twin. I was going to get the Harley Davidson with that freaking single headlight Batwing fairing on it. Oh, yeah. Because that's where I was when I bought the Road King, you know. What I yeah. saw was, you know, the Harley was the, you hopped on, you had the leather saddlebags and mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. took off and you had the windshield and the wind. and Yeah. And I basically bought the first bike, I think, because everyone up to that time in my life told me, no, 
You, oh yeah, you cannot own a bike, or you will not own a oh, motorcycle. Yeah. My, and I was just like, screw you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, the way it was was, uh, I told my mom, you know, thirty years old, I'm like, uh, I bought a motorcycle. She was like, Airmocker, you're gonna sell that thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So here's why. Here's another thing I want to get into. Uh, this may be some kind of a battle. Maybe we could incite some um, uh, some arguments in the comments if anyone even listens to these. Um, but the, the the street glide versus the uh, oh hell what's the shark nosed the, oh, the road glide, glide. the road glide yeah. <laughs> it's you versus me here yeah you me versus you yeah um, so and I think what little I've been around the Harley Davidson crowd is like this is a huge battle oh like, yeah which is better which looks better like I personally think that two headlight it shark does. nose it took- front end on that looks like ass i hated them i said i would never ever ride or i would never own a road glide ever they were the the street glides were it i loved or yeah. the ultras you know you had the mm-hmm. single headlight mm-hmm. and the two running lights i loved that look and i said i never owned that thing's ugly and then yeah. i rode one <laughs> and uh that's what i've heard from everyone that owns one of those bikes is it's like the, the ultimate smooth yeah. ride at speed on the interstate like you're not affected by Mm-mm. the tractor trailers that you're going past or that are passing you you know the the little breeze you encounter doesn't really yeah, it's, uh, toss you that bad, my, and um, and I get that because like that street glide of mine, that uh, uh, handlebar mounted fairing yeah. catches everything, and you know that front end just wants to wobble all over the place. It it still feels sa- stable, yeah, but, but it's it's a little unsettling. Yeah, to you feel, feel that that, yeah. that input through your hands and the road glide and none of that, right? You just you pass a semi at seventy miles an hour and the bike just completely just track straight and it's just yeah. and then you got the two the vents the newer ones have the vents um the one at the windshield and the two down lower mm-hmm. so you get plenty of wind because it just catches it right by the headlights and yeah. dumps it right at you so you don't have to you don't get overheated yeah and they close off yeah so why can't they put the batwing fairing chassis mounted i don't know i've wondered <laughs> that uh buddy mine's got a victory and he said that the, a lot of people with the cross-country victories do that they've he's seen a few that they've actually frame mounted the fairing hmm. and mm-hmm. made the their fairing because it was funny we were riding I, he's who i went down the road with and we were on the interstate running you know the speed limit yeah and uh <laughs> he requires <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah we were uh he, we were he's like man i was getting tossed everywhere i was like man i didn't have a problem at all he was like yeah you and your damn fairing on the front i was like hey it may be <laughs> ugly but it works yeah need a burp button yeah. a lot of people put in the cough button yeah. on these mics but we need a burp button <laughs> um yeah so you you're riding long distance like i um yeah i sure. think that the, the the longest ride i ever did was on that soft tail and i rode quote gas tank to gas tank yeah on that bike it's not very long because <laughs> that's like uh, I can't call it a race bike, but I mean, it's a, it's a chopped bike. It's raked out it's a, a little bit. Big fat tire in the back. It's like the muscle bike. Muscle bike, yeah. It's got a big motor. Or uh, at the time, it was a big yeah. motor. I think all the motors now are larger than that one. That's 110 cubic inch. But um, I think it has like a three and a half gallon tank on it. Yeah. Even though the tank looks massive, <laughs> I think the interior of it, it yeah. must be filled with insulation or something. <laughs> I think it's three and a half gallons. I can get a hundred miles on a tank in that thing. <laughs> And so riding tank to tank on that, uh, I'm out 
and back home in, in like 120 miles. You yeah. know, that's, and that's all I do. That's about all I can stand on it. Yeah. Um, I, I've always wanted to take the street glide out for a, ro- a long ride, but um, opportunity never arose. You know, yeah. I don't like to go on a, a long ride by myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, by myself, I'm just, you know, going out for, I don't know, a couple hours at a time. And I'm that's a, about it. I'm one of those idiots that do, you know, it's kind of like the off-roading crowd. Never <laughs> off-road alone, never ride motorcycle alone. Yeah. And uh, I'm one of those dumb asses that do that. Well, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, what, short, yeah, a short ride for me is like, oh, four to six hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you riding uh, riding to work whenever you can? Whenever I can. Yeah. That's something like I don't think I can do now driving to and from Charleston. Um, I'm scared to death because I'm on the road at around 530 in the morning. Oh. And I'm scared to death of the deer. That, um, and I, I would hate from – you know that the nitro exit to charleston i hate riding that on 64 oh yeah yeah and i think i i couldn't bring myself to ride any other route to charleston because it just makes it so much longer if you take route 60 i mean there's like a million stoplights between here and there and the road is yeah crap the road's bad um yeah so i can't ride to work and then i think there's the uncertainty of the weather when you're looking at an hour each way and if you Um, haven't read you break down and it's you know crappy weather you're stuck yeah right uh yeah so i'm driving the four wheelers to and from work um yeah (laughs) (laughs) i've got to get these bikes out on the road like i I think to be honest with you i don't think i've rode since my twins were born wow and when i say that it makes it sound like they're the reason i haven't rode but that's not true i just i just don't have time anymore I, i changed employment um I drive, I have, you know, two hours plus driving time every day and I work more frequently than I used to at Cabell. So the, the free time is just not there. Yeah. And, um, plus I hate, I hate taking these bikes in and out of my gra- gravel driveway. <laughs> I was going to tell you, riding in the last time on that road glide or the road king line road up here, it was like, uh, it was a little, a little hairy at the, at the end. Yeah. At the end. Cause, uh, some jackass put that uh, uh river rock gravel down there that that won't compact yeah it never will compact yeah and so yeah it's very loose very soft that's where you're going to turn it over is at the end of the driveway the rest of it's compacted yeah. pretty well pretty solid well the good news is if i would have laid it over i wouldn't have come off the bike because the the peak that was in the seat from my ass cleaning it <laughs> that's right oh man um well what else is there to talk about bikes you um have you been on any like uh, big group rides, like uh, memorial rides, rallies, anything like that um, lately? Well, I don't know if you the a couple weeks ago we had um, a ride, the little boy that got hit with a tree that ended up being an organ donor. Um, I actually worked with his grandpa and his dad at the VA. Uh, his name was Vinny, and we did a they did a, a ride for him. Um, I think we had a total of I want to say like seventy bikes. And it was a poker run, so yeah, and, that's a pretty big turnout. And uh, they had a, like a bunch of stuff for it. Um, let's see, they I think they raffled off a car, they raffled off a gun, they did a fifty-fifty, which I actually won, um, surprisingly, um, mm-hmm. which was good because then I just gave it all back. Yeah, um, well, I think that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. When and, you win this. But but I was glad that I won it that way. That I you know since I knew because his grandpa rode in it too. Mm-hmm. His grandpa rides a little. Uh, he rides a Honda Shadow, so he actually rode in the in the actual ride too, which mm-hmm. was really cool. Cool. Um, but that's probably been the last one I've been on. Um, truthfully, I don't, I mean, those things are good, but 
once you get above like five to seven bikes, I get a little nervous because mm-hmm. it's, you know, you start getting that accordion effect, especially. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, I think I was going to say the the last um, sponsored ride that I went on was uh, the uh, Blue Knights. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Yeah, they're a charity, I think, like, kind of like a Toys for Tots. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they're, it's law enforcement for Toys for Kids. Um, and this is probably four years ago, I bet. And there had to have been 500 bikes in that. It was massive. Yeah. Um, we had law enforcement, fire department closing the road off for us everywhere we went. Uh, and I think the the circle that we rode was probably uh, 50 to 60 miles. I mean, it was That's pretty a yeah. pretty lengthy one. Uh, but no, the road was closed everywhere for us. It was awesome. But, oh, yeah. But that accordion effect, I almost freaking rear-ended somebody. Oh, yeah. Because, like, and I was riding that uh, soft tail, and I I just had it tuned. I'd put the big loud pipes on it, <laughs> just had it tuned. So, like, it was even quicker than it was out of the box. Um, and, you know, I saw the, 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 the bikes in front of me start to put some distance between us. So, yeah. I oh, I hammered down that throttle. And no sooner did I cracked that thing open, their brake lights oh, are yeah. coming on. And I was just like, holy shit, <laughs> here yeah. we go. I'm going to wreck, and then everyone behind <laughs> me is going to wreck. But somehow I managed to to, to reel it back in, and um, things were cool. But I know yeah. exactly what you mean. I, and I'd never heard anyone describe it as the accordion effect, yeah. but that's exactly it what is. it is. I mean, just because everybody stretches out and then just yeah. compacts. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, anything about five, seven bikes, I, I have a group that I ride with, and there's usually about – five of us that ride and it's mm-hmm. about, about the perfect size for me um and then it's the good thing about that is you all can kind of you know if you're on a huge ride it's pretty much you know you're set you have to make sure the set routes and you have a smaller group you can be like hey i want to stop here mm-hmm. or hey mm-hmm. i want to go into this establishment and have water yeah and then, yeah hydrate yeah, yourself yeah, hydrate <laughs> and then uh, you go to the next spot uh, which i like versus you know it being a concrete plan yeah do you ride with uh, some kind of uh, headset or communication system i have uh i have I have a cardo um in whatever one of my, that's called yeah the bluetooth communicator whatever intercom system mm-hmm. um but i hardly ever use it i use it i use it a lot more on the road king because i can listen to music through it mm-hmm. but um nobody else i really ride with has them so I, it's mostly just for me when i take out a long ride that way i can you know talk on the phone or whatever mm-hmm. oh but, that's uh, cool i'd never looked at it that way i i just wondered how the i see people um, riding where they've got the the big microphone mm-hmm. uh, in front of their mouth, and you know they have a headset built into their helmet, and I just I, always, I was always curious how that works. Like, obviously, you're only talking to well, the, the one, other cyclists riding yeah. with you. Or I'm guessing that's what it is. Well, it used to be is they you worked by Bluetooth, so like they had different you know different sizes. I guess they make some that just are just for just you that you can listen to music or talk on the phone, and then there's one that like. It's so short range, you know, it goes in price. So their cheapest mm-hmm. one's just you, and then they move up, and you can talk to your pillion. Mm-hmm. And then they've got another one, the one above it. It's like they'll talk to like a half mile, but you can talk to like maybe four riders. Mm-hmm. And then they got this new thing. It's like a new Bluetooth. I don't know. It's way too smart for me. Mm-hmm. They call it Mesh. And um, if anybody has that, like that technology built in, there's no real, you know, real pairing. Um, once you move, like a pair, and then once you move in to range, you're in. And if you move out. Yeah, that uh, mesh, that's how this um, Sonos speaker system, I have it oh, really? works. That's that's the technology. And it is funky. It's yeah. hard to understand. Uh, it's way um, above my pay grade. Yeah, me too. Like, And sometimes the speakers work, sometimes they don't. Yeah. It's hard to troubleshoot it. But 
Well, yeah. that's that's fascinating. I yeah, I imagined it used to be like a, a CB radio at some point. Well, if you look on the older, like the older Ultras, they'll have a plug right below where the gas cap is. And mm-hmm. There's one back for the passenger, and you can only just talk to pretty much you and your passenger. Yeah. And then they moved up to CBs, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like the you got to think ten years ago what you used to talk on in your car was one of those huge Bluetooth. That's true. Yeah, things that went on the visor, and now <laughs> look at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, let's talk some about, uh, another, another hobby of yours, another passion of yours, the, the, the off-roading. What? That's a hobby of mine? I'm guessing. <laughs> Did you get out of it? No, that's still there. <laughs> I've got to tell, um, I'm going to open up with the story of, of like how you sucked me into this <laughs> and you can interject at any time. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, um, articulate this the, the best that I recall it. Uh, you mean the shit talking that I did? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In effect, that's what it was. But I so at some point, I had bought um, as a uh, daily driver in air quotes a <laughs> uh, a uh, four door JK Unlimited uh, Rubicon package because um, at the time I was driving this gigantic ass Ram one ton diesel pickup, which turns out it remains my daily driver <laughs> but, but anyways at the time uh, i said i'm gonna get this jeep that'll be my daily driver and i you know i drove it for i don't know six months or so and then uh, i come across mr moore here and he says something to the effect of uh, are you going to be one of those assholes that never takes that <laughs> off road that sounds you, know, my locker. you you got uh you got the front and rear lockers and, and at the time i didn't even know what in the fuck that meant <laughs> you've got the better the upgraded suspension the better four-wheel drive, all this shit. And I'm like, I don't know. I just bought the thing. It looked cool. Um, and I said, okay, you, you've called me out. I'll go on a ride with you. <laughs> so we go out in um, the, uh, what, the, the cowboy lingo, yeah, the backside wilderness, East whatever. Yeah, East Lynn uh, Wildlife Management Area uh, on some trails that I had been on before, but I never paid close enough attention to even get oriented out there yeah. well i've been on them on four wheelers let's be honest though ron was navigating and yeah. i'm i'm way too just well ron said i'll do it yeah and ron never leads me into trouble which is a lie <laughs> but anyways we um you know i do okay i i scrape the jeep up some which that doesn't bother me i mean i don't buy these to be show pieces by any means any of my vehicles i mean i try to be nice to my motorcycles because they are pretty, yeah. but I mean, I've got some dings on them too. Who cares? Um, but anyways, we get, we go down this one trail and then we get to this place that <laughs> I'm thinking like is impassable. And what? of course, uh, Aaron and Ryan are like, oh hell, we can get through this. Well, this, this is right after you turned your camera off and I about rolled my Jeep. That's true. Yeah. I, I turned the camera off. I don't know why. Uh, but anyways, you, you guys go down first and your old, um, XJ. Oh, yep. And literally almost roll the thing over yep. the, the the hillside. Cave the door um, in. Yeah. And then you have to winch yourself out of there. And then Ryan's hopping out and he's coming back like, oh, dude, you got this. <laughs> you got this. And I'm like, fuck, no, I don't. Like, I'm going to die here. <laughs> he said, no, no, you got this. You got to go over here. And like, so I tried to go on the line. He's pointing me in. And as soon as I drop into this thing. Because it's like nothing but red clay. It sucks you into this void. Mm-hmm. And I get stuck down in there. And, um. We wind up hooking your winch up. I think, and, the, um, I think the quote was, wow, his, he's a lot longer than you are. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that was the quote that day. But what, here's what I was going to drive at is, um, so I'm getting pulled out and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm giving it hell to try and help out and, uh, flipping me off. Yeah. Flipping you off. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I see the look on your all's faces. You're, you, you, you half laugh, you half gasp. And I don't know what's happened until I get out of the hole and I'm on solid ground again. And I look out and it, I had ripped off one of the, um, fender liners, you know, the, I think the, the passenger rear, yeah, it was the right rear <laughs> fender player, fender liner laying over the hill. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh, well, I guess I'm afraid this thing. <laughs> I think you were like, well, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, it, it turned out to be a, a really fun ride. And then... Um, How long did you go without washing your Jeep after that trip? I, a month. Because uh, I remember you parked in the, doc, in the yeah. doctor's <laughs> next to, like, you know, the Teslas and the yeah, Mercedes. Right. And, and I think I, I even parked it at work without the uh, fender flare on it uh, for a week or so. <laughs> but I uh, said so then, you know, that took me down this pathway. I did some research, um, talked to you, talked to some other jeepers um figured out what what direction i wanted to go with the jeep we actually went on at least another ride one um, two. well we went to that ride at rush yes um, yes that was bad for me before yeah but that was before i upgraded yeah and um i got stuck at one place but i got stuck at a place where everyone got yeah, stuck where zach and his hummer yeah, almost, yeah. yeah it was, and then but but what i remember and this is the most outstanding thing ever. We get to that one like oh, really, yeah. really nasty looking uphill, where I think uh, Zach took his Hummer to the extreme left. Yeah, he about side. rolled his Hummer. Yeah, about rolled his Hummer. Ryan went through the woods and about rolled his CJ. Yeah, and then you just I struggled con- continually, got stuck, giving it hell. Yeah, you know, and um, and finally made it to the top after backing off and getting a run at it over and over again. And so I'm sitting there, and I've got Megan. Like, this is one of the first times <laughs> Megan and I go out together. And uh, she's like, are you seriously going to do this? And I said, well, I have to. I mean, like, well, there's nowhere for us to go. <laughs> go back out and get stuck again? And, uh, yeah, I, I just had it in the in the low range. I think I started out in, like, third gear. I've yeah. got that six-speed manual. And I picked the line right up the middle of that thing. And... I don't think I heard leaving gave it any gas. I don't think I had any wheel spin. You didn't. You I just went straight up that rolled hill. Up and, I was like, and then you guys were all flipping me <laughs> off at the top. <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, but I think by then I'd figured out all the little bells and whistles on that thing where yeah. I can uh, lock in the differentials. I can uh, detach that sway bar in the front. And, and I'm telling you, I love that manual transmission in the low range. Yeah. That four to one transfer case is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then after that, you know, I, I decided I wanted a suspension lift and some bigger tires, um, change out the bumpers. Cause I think all that stuff was getting beat up to hell. Yeah. And, um, that the process of installing all that probably took, I don't know, a month or six weeks for me. And in fact, I had to have you, Mr. Moore come over and finish it off for me. Cause I'd gotten stuck with something. I can't even remember. Well, what you it had was. Chris helping you and by help. I mean, drinking all your beer <laughs> while right. he was here. <laughs> and, um, then we went uh we went on kind of a, a memorial ride i think yeah the ride um, arena yeah and um man that was a fun time but um it sucked cuz i didn't have a passenger that time i had to I, in fact i had to leave the ride early mm-hmm. to go meet megan at I her, had like a family function at her, thing. Yeah, at her brother's place um in fort gay but uh right up until that man i got covered in mud yeah, i went, went th- through a mud hole with my windows rolled down yeah. that was a, another lesson learned there yeah. <laughs> 
And you would think I would learn from that lesson from you? I did not. My, the inside of my Jeep was covered in mud. Your new Jeep. Yeah. Yeah, so you you ditched the uh, the XJ. Yeah, I got rid of the XJ, and then I had a 97 TJ. TJ. And I got rid of it and got, well, I had the, the JL, but I used the TJ to, to play with. And then mm-hmm. I got rid of it after I did a... Uh, went through a breakup and decided I was going to do all the stuff that I really wanted to do in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I uh, put 35s and lifted it and uh, new bumpers. And now that's my daily driver and my take out in the woods and beat on vehicle. Yeah. Which is funny because I take it out there and people are like, you're taking this new Jeep out? And I was like, that's what I bought it for. That's all I ever got from people. Yeah. Like, oh my God. How, I think I, I took that thing out for a ride. I had, I think it was less than 10,000 miles on it. Yeah. Maybe like, 8,500, 9,000, something like that. And I think to this day, I only have like 16,000 miles on it. I never drive it anymore. It's sad. Um, I mean, for two reasons, it's a little bit hard to drive on the road because I never got it aligned. Mm -hmm. And the front end wobbles like shit. It's not the death wobble, but it just doesn't drive straight. Yeah. Um, Takes some effort to point it down the road. And it's a shoebox, so any bit of wind is... Yeah, and then plus I don't want to wear those tires out. Yeah. I mean, definitely now, like driving to and from Charleston, you know, I've got a lot of money in that rubber, so I don't want to drive it on a daily basis. Um, But, man, I haven't had it out um, on the trails in forever either. It's, I guess it's just another time issue. Like, I I don't know. I I can hardly get away to do anything, and that sounds awful. When I say that, but like, it's just this point, the point I'm at in my life, uh, career wise and oh, yeah, uh, house wise. You know, we've got these two twin babies that I wouldn't trade for anything, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I just I don't have a lot of free time. And, and I've gotten into a point where you can, there's only 24 hours in a day and you can't. Yeah. And then I like, I'm, I mean, you, you can see we're sitting in my quote studio, which is this unfinished basement. Like, and, you know, I was on this basement for a while. I was put, mm-hmm. I was framing this, putting, pulling the cable and all this crap you see, but then just kind of gave up on that. That petered out because I moved on to some other project. I yeah. have like these, this flight of ideas <laughs> with these projects around here, but there's all this property maintenance, uh, trying to get this house together plus working full time. Yeah. And, uh, raising these two absolute crazy, uh, little girls, you know, um, I, I wonder where they get it from. Hmm. I've got my ideas, uh, but it's probably a mixture of uh, from uh, dad and mom. They definitely got their good looks from their mother. Um, I'll have to agree there. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> sorry, you don't really do it for me. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't write my life story any different. But uh, I just, I'm hoping that sometime, uh, at some point, like things settle down, and I've got some more time to go out and dick around like I used yeah. to. Um, I got kind of really accustomed to that, and it's um, it's a little bit rough to to not be able to do that. I don't know. I get the, the I think the work is what gets me the most. Yeah, it's um. I mean, so full time for me. I say I work full time. It's probably I think the easiest week for me is maybe sixty hours. Yeah. Um. At worst, I've done ninety hours in a week. I mean, I feel like I'm a resident, a trainee again. Yeah. It's awful. And then, like I said, you had the two hours driving time on top of that. So a lot of times eating up during the week. But, uh, you know, I, I complain about my job continually. <laughs> I'll never stop complaining about it. But I'll tell you what, it, it puts food on the table. Mm-hmm. It allows me to own some pretty cool toys that hopefully <laughs> I'll get back to using again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're doing well. Um, yeah, so what you 
you kind of took the same path as I did on your new Jeep. It sounds like yeah, it pretty much barely broke it in and started tearing it down and see, upgrading. I, I, I put the, see, I think I had 22,000 miles on mine and it was less than a year old. And then I did pretty much the exact same new, new bumpers, winch. Now, did you have to lift that thing Two and to and get your tires on it? You, what'd you do? You just say 35s or 37s? I've got 35s. Okay. I, I remember when they were developing that, they said you could put 35s on it without the Rubicons any kind can. of lit. Okay. The Rubicons come with, they're two inch taller yeah. front fenders because they come with 33s. And you can run mm-hmm. 35s factory with those. I see. The sports and the Sahara's you can't. Okay. Um, did you do anything with the uh, driveline in it? No. No? What nope. kind of, does it got any anything cool going on in it? Just the 3.6 V6 and the 8-speed automatic is pretty badass. Really? I get. Uh, well, is for off-road purposes? Yeah. I mean, think it does well? Yeah, it does well. It does well on the road. Um, mm-hmm. And if I went back to the factory tire, it would get down the road. Uh, Ryan actually drove it and was like, this thing's got a little more power than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the setup Megan has in her yeah. Jeep. Um, same power plant, same drivetrain. I like, you know, for highway driving, I really do enjoy her transmission because it'll, it'll, you know, uh, switch into that eighth gear. Yeah, I don't ever see it And anymore. it just... Just sips fuel, mm-hmm. um, and it's just really smooth. It shifts very well. Yeah, I, got, I, like I was getting with factory tire. I was getting twenty four, twenty five miles per gallon out of it. Wow! Now I'm getting fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, I I don't know what my Jeep gets anymore. <laughs> um, I think the last time I actually measured it, well, the th- but I don't have the correction for the um, tires, mm. so I don't know the actual uh, distance I'm traveling. But but no, I think it was. I, it was clearly sub 15. Yeah. I bet it was down like 12 miles a gallon or something. I'm and from, it's, it's from, hard for me to cruise, uh, on the highway in sixth gear. Yeah. I usually just, uh, ride around in fifth gear. Well, with my eight speed, I seventh gears. Yeah. All I really see occasionally it'll shift into eighth, but yeah, very rarely. I did drive that thing to work. Um, one day last winter when it was very severely snowing outside. Um, and, and I did that on purpose because I think that truck I have is very difficult to drive mm-hmm. when it's icy and snowy out. Uh, it's hard to get it to stop. Is well, the there's issue. a lot of weight there. Yeah. Um, and it's an, it's an automatic shift, and I think mm-hmm. that works against you. So I took the Jeep out this one day. I can't even remember what month it was. But, no, there, I left this house, and there hadn't been a snowplow touch the road anywhere until I got to I-64. So, you know, that's um, – four or five miles of just back roads between here and the highway. And then when I did get to the, to I-64, you could tell that there'd been a mm-hmm. snowplow go through, but it was long enough ago that there was another three or four inches yeah. on the ground. And that's how it was all the way there. And um, I there was a wreck at the Nitro Bridge uh, east, eastbound. So I had to get off um, at the St. Albans exit and navigate you know, back to route 60 yeah. and then get to Charleston from there. So it was miserable. And I remember calling the guys uh, saying, Hey, I'm going to be late. Um, but actually it turned out I leave so early. Like I give myself <laughs> such a cushion leaving here because yeah. I'm so paranoid about leaving these guys out hanging, you know, not showing up on time that I give myself a cushion, but I actually got there on time. So you're not Chris Reese. No. Yeah. The I'm anti Chris Reese. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> But no, that uh, that was an ass clenching drive the whole way, because um, I you know there were a lot of slow traveling cars, mm-hmm. 
uh, trucks, you know, uh, semi trucks, whatever. And I tried to pass them, but they were spewing out all this slush and stuff. Like as soon as you started to pass them, like the, the windshield would get coated with yeah. and the, the wipers wouldn't keep up with it. So you, I'd have to back off. You know, and just wait until there was a, a spot where I could just like zip past them. You know, you had to build up speed and like yeah. try to go past as fast as you could. And mud trucks <coughs> don't do the greatest in snow anyway. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, there's not, um, oh God, what are those little features in the tires that are for traction? Um, you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. in each lug. So, like in your all terrains or your um, snow tires, even in each lug, there's like little wavy cutout things and i can't yeah. remember there's a name for those yeah, i can't, can't remember what it is either. but no so the yeah you're right the mud tires they don't have any yeah. of those it's, it's they, just they clean, lugs they clean really well yeah it'll really fling well. the shit out of them but yeah mm. they yeah uh, they suck for driving in it yeah but um no but i i think that that jeep had to have done better than my truck would have done in the snow i don't know the only the the advantage i think my truck has <laughs> if you're gonna crash you want to <laughs> crash in that truck there's plenty of room there to, before it gets to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's just it's so protective, just the mass of it. You know, that um, Jeep, if that rolled over or if there was a side impact or something, like, that would be frightening. Well, I remember the old, the TJ used to come with on the hard top. They had a sticker that said that the doors and top were for uh, protection against the elements. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not essential to crash. Which, yeah, right. Which was, you know, rather settling. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> And I'm sure it's it's probably still to this day that they're not very well protected from side impact uh, or rollovers, I would imagine. Yeah. I don't know. The, I think the cage inside of the Jeep I have now is fairly robust. I think that mine, they redesigned the doors where they have some impact and protection. I don't have the side curtain impact, uh, airbags on my on my Jeep. So it's probably a little safer, but you're still going to die like a man. Yeah. <laughs> It's just you're going to die on a pillow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, gosh, well, what else can we talk about? <clears throat> oh, God, we could talk about anything. Yeah. Um, Give us a topic here. Any COVID stories? What's going on with COVID <sighs> at Cabell Hankton? That's, I've been curious about that. Well, I've been off for the last two weeks, so it's hard to say what has changed now. Yeah. I, I have not checked my email. I'm sure there's been like at least five different policies about N95s and masks and yeah. something that I've missed. So I take it day by day. Yeah. So I think um, in Charleston, there seems to be a distinct difference uh, on how we test people um, going to surgery. Like I understand that Cabell is still testing everyone as far as goes to surgery. Yeah. Um, no matter what the proposed surgery is, what specialty it is. Yeah. Unless it's a, uh, a trauma um, that goes emergent. Yeah, clearly. <clears throat> but I think in, um, in Charleston, we have, um, we've streamlined it to where we only we only COVID test people that are having aerosol generating mm. procedures. So that's dental, maxillofacial. Um, it used to be uh, EGDs and TEEs, but they they stopped testing those two. But it's still dental and oral maxillofacial, and then anyone having a tracheostomy because mm-hmm. apparently, if you enter the trachea through the skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently the virus goes everywhere, but if you enter the trachea through the mouth, the virus <laughs> doesn't go anywhere. Like, and I never understood that. It's like, we're going to like crazy, crazy ultra protect ourselves or test the people getting tracheostomies. Mm-hmm. However, every other person out there that gets a, an endotracheal tube put in by me or the nurse anesthetist, like 
Yeah. Who gives a shit? I mean, yeah. the virus is just going to stay in there. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of so like, much of this stuff doesn't make sense to me, but, um, like they were at least at Cabell. Um, if you do, at least it used to be, if you did any kind of, you know, if you did a nebulizer, you had to put them in isolation or if they went on BiPAP or CPAP. But I was like, you put them in isolation for that. But if they're tubed <laughs> and they're on a vent, they're not, there's like, well, there's a filter. And I'm like, where is there a filter on a vent? I've not seen a filter in line anywhere on a vent. Do you think, are you cleaning that filter after a time we use a vent? Yeah. I, I mean, I, the rationale behind all of this stuff doesn't exactly make sense. However, I just say, what the hell are you going to do? I mean, it's just like the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, they tried shutting the economy down. That didn't go so well for yeah. people. And you can't shut healthcare down. No. Because that's not going to go well for anybody. Yeah. So this machine has to go forward. Yeah. And um, I guess, you know, I guess every facility's got their own interpretation of their best practice. And, um, you know, so far, knock on wood for me, I, I've been around a lot of COVID positive patients. I've been around a lot of uh, indeterminate patients, you know, yeah. suspected or what, what we used to call the the uh, PUI patient under investigation. Um, I feel like I need like the, uh, the, the lawn or dun dun. Yeah, no, that's, that's what, that's the way we used to talk back in March and April, uh, this year, but I've been around a ton of these people and, um, I've not been tested. However, Megan was tested because she had a viral illness and she tested negative. So that tells me like, I have to be negative. Yeah. I mean, if I was positive, clearly I would have passed it to her, and a baby's like, and we would all be sick. But, um, yes, I'm pretty confident I never got it. And we just do uh, the best we can do with the patients and still still treat people. And, uh, obviously, we're always treating the emergencies. Yeah. But we're we're doing as much of the uh, elective and semi-elective stuff we can. Yeah, buddy of mine, he's a paramedic down in North Carolina. He actually, him and his wife and his sister all ended up with it. And it was kind of funny because he would – he went on live stream because he said it first started off just kind of like a sinus infection. And, mm-hmm. and then he said he knew he was really in trouble when he ate something and couldn't taste it. Yeah. So he decided he was going to play, you know, he's like, I feel like ass. So I'm going to at least mm-hmm. do something that's fun. So like he went like Facebook live and like was taking requests of stuff to try. <laughs> so he was doing shots of like soy sauce and oh, lemon God. juice and eating garlic. And <laughs> yeah, I think Megan one day came home and said that she couldn't taste anything. I said, here, drink some of this lemon juice. <laughs> You know, we had a big bottle of it in the fridge. I said, this will determine whether you can actually taste or not. And she she drank it, and she said, oh, yeah, I can taste yeah. that. So um, that put that to rest. But I think that was I think that was after, or right around the time she was tested anyways. Um, well, my, my same buddy, he's donating plasma somewhere down there. They're giving him um, $100. Is it, I was going to say, is it actually donation, or is he selling? He's selling. <laughs> he's selling plasma. $100 for COVID-recovered uh, people. Yeah, the, the so-called convalescent plasma, yeah. right? So yeah. he's, uh, he's getting $200 a week to give plasma. I was like, that's a heck of a side job. Heck, yeah. Um, I could do that, except uh, I have this crazy fear of needles, <laughs> uh, which is nuts considering the specialty I'm in. But, no, like I can't stand to get yeah. stuck by needles. It's awful. Um, what I was going to say is I think, um, I, I had briefly mentioned elective and semi-elective surgeries versus emergency surgeries. I know that one thing that this has taught, uh, the whole world or maybe the country, uh, that elective surgeries aren't always elective, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I, and that was the biggest issue I think we faced when we put all this stuff on the back burner. We said, oh, well, all this spine surgery is elective. We don't have to do that crap. All these total joints elective. We don't need to do that. Um, and I think those are two of the best examples. Like, so if you have pathology, of the spine causing you enough issues to, to, to seek surgery in the first oh, place, absolutely. that's not getting better yeah. on it, its own. You know, um, it may be elective, but what kind of, yeah, well, but I just hate to, I hate to use the word yeah. elective now. It's, I, mean, it's, I just, I blanket everything saying non-emergent. Yeah. Pretty nowadays. much. Cause, because those things do like, imagine that you've got a, a disc, or a spondylolisthesis, you know, your spine is just totally jacked out of alignment. And what if that progresses to the point you get caught equina yeah. or you have like significant paralysis, you can't ambulate, you can't do anything like then. Yeah. Now it's an emergency. Just it's a fine line. But if you'd have done it a month ago, it's quote elective. Yeah. And it's, I think that's when we, when we, put all the elective stuff on pause i think that's when people began to realize yeah these we don't have to do these surgeries but we kind of have to do them yeah still um but, and i felt so bad for a lot of the patients um i mean really truly the only rule elective you can really think of is like plastic surgeries oh because, like the cosmetic stuff yeah, like if mean, your boobs done and your yeah. your nose job and facelift yeah yeah i mean um, other than that i mean yeah of course you're getting you know, uh uh, you know, coli is elective, but what kind of, yeah, you eat something and you, you well, what if your gallbladder gets necrotic? Yeah. You know, then it's an emergency and yeah. you're septic and, and you, now you're, you're, now you're going you're on, home is now turned into a three or four day stay. Yeah. And you're on pressors and IC or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm with you. So clearly the cosmetic stuff is like yeah. by, by definition, purely elective. Cause I mean, it's not like you're going to get uglier. <laughs> Or your your tits I'm, are going to get even saggier. I don't know. Thirty three years, I can prove that. <laughs> but uh, another one I always thought was purely elective was bariatrics. And, yeah, um, I know I'll take a bunch of flack for that, but for God's sake, I mean that stuff can wait. Yeah, um, that could wait indefinitely. And and what what we've seen in Charleston is that is the first specialty that gets put on hold whenever. Um, whenever we have a bed shortage in a hospital makes sense. And, um, I don't necessarily feel sorry for the patients cause I know they can wait, but I, f- I feel sorry for the surgeons that like rely on that as a source of income. Yeah. I mean, what are they going to do? Uh, I've seen a lot of them in Charleston take general surgery call. You oh, know, wow. so they, they'll do, uh, uh appendectomies or cholecystectomy, stuff like that. You know, when the, while they can't do their, uh, sleeves and, yeah. and gastric bypasses and stuff. Um, so they, I don't know, they can make themselves useful. They can contribute. Um, but yeah, uh, recently in Charleston, I, I don't know if you keep up with the news there at all. I, mm. I guess I just know about it because I'm there, but, um, a couple of weeks ago we put elective, um, admit surgeries on hold. Really? So you could come in and have, um, you know, your scheduled, uh, lap calling. You know, because you're going home same day. Mm-hmm. You could come in and have your elective uh, knee arthroscopy because you're going home the same day. But they wouldn't allow total joints. They wouldn't allow uh, sleeve gastrectomies, gastric bypasses. Um, they wouldn't do any orthospine or neurospine that required admission. And even know. even from like a, not a, 
you know, elective, non-elective, non-emergent, emergent standpoint, it sucks for the patient because they've scheduled their whole life around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we got to the point um, in Charleston where the hospital was at capacity, and it wasn't because of COVID patients. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the staff in Charleston got infected. I did hear about that. And had to take time off of work. So they were just closing beds and closing yeah. portions of units down. So you literally couldn't admit anyone to the yeah. hospital. So I think that was a wise decision to stop the elective admits, yeah. but they still let the machine go and do the elective same day stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I think it's just different practice everywhere. And like I said, everyone's just trying to do the best they can with it. Um, I wonder what we're going to see this fall and winter. Like if it's going to yeah. be, uh, instead of being flu season, it's going to be COVID season. Yeah. I can't word that myself. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we're coming upon pneumonia, flu, RSV season, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and but it, I'm sure you've heard this before. Like, I've heard these ridiculous suggestions like now flu is going to take the back burner to COVID. Like, it someone, someone the other day said like, oh, well, we're not even going to vaccinate for flu this year because everyone's focused on COVID. And I said, didn't you see the freaking flyer hanging up everywhere to get your flu shots? Like, no, flu is still getting treated yeah. like the flu. Like, flu is a big deal still. Yeah. Um, but I think there's just all these conspiracy or, you know, all these critics of the COVID handling saying like, and now we're going to lose sight of all the other stuff that happens in winter time. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's true, but the, but I think what could happen is that we still treat the normal stuff that happens in the winter and then we have to add the COVID, yeah. now we're what we assume is going to ramp back up and, um, we might be looking at some badness again, like we had the earlier part of this year. Well, I'll say we it, Florida will be a good test subject since that they just lifted all their their restrictions. Mm-hmm. I say give it a month and see what Florida looks like. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, buddy, to make me another one of those uh, drinks. Gladly. Um, yeah. So the, the actually the the last episode I recorded was with my son, and um. I kept it clean. Actually, I, I did drink a few beers, I think. Um, but I didn't curse or swear or anything. And I didn't get drunk. Did, and, uh, uh, did Tucker, did he, did he quote the B-movie? No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tucker has come such a long way um, in the last few years. Actually, in the last year, he's big time grown up. But um, I kept it clean for his episode. And I remember even putting that in the the episode comments that, uh, Hey, this is a clean episode for all you listeners out there. There's no, <laughs> no cursing. You're not going to hear beer cans open. We're not going to talk about bourbon or anything, but I will tell you this, and this is hilarious. Um, I don't know if his mother listens to this or not, but if you do, um, this is, this is funny. Tucker walked down here into the, uh, quote studio and he says, Oh man, look at all that alcohol. Cause I had like, I don't know, eight or 10 bottles of bourbon out on the table. And, uh, and I said, yeah, um, you know, I'm not going to get crazy. Don't worry. Cause I thought he was concerned about like, I would get out of control. Yeah. And he goes, no, it sucks. I can't drink any of it. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> do for real, do, would you even want to? Like, I've been offering you to have a drink for like the majority of your life. It's always a joke yeah. folks, but, uh, <laughs> He's always turned me down, but then he's like, oh, all that alcohol, and I can't drink any of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, t- um, 
Yeah. Did, did you listen to Tucker's episode? I watched. I heard listen part of it. Oh my gosh, he <laughs> he's a grown up now. I yeah. can't believe it. He literally went from being yeah the a, first time I met a Tucker. total jag off, <laughs> total jag off kid to uh, he's an adult now. Yeah, Crazy. First, I remember the first time I met Tucker. He literally, I walked up to your Jeep. He rolled the window down and quoted the first like whatever, however long with the B movie. Yeah, the first thousand <laughs> words of the B movie. You know, uh, one time he sent a text message, and this is before, this is so many years ago, uh, like before the whole iMessage thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this was just like SMS texting. He sent the entire script of the B movie in text format. Oh my god. To to like every contact on his phone, <laughs> and it shut everyone's phone down. <laughs> like it shut my phone down. Like I had to, I had to reboot my phone, and when I rebooted it, it was still trying to download the million words or however many uh, words are on this text. So I shut it off again, reboot it, trying to download it, and it would like it would freeze up. I'm telling you, my phone didn't work for a day, <laughs> and I remember being so angry at him. And I remember I heard from my brothers. They're like, what the fuck is Tucker doing? <laughs> like, my phone doesn't work now. And I'm like, dude, he did the same thing to me. Uh, but no, he's moved on from <laughs> those kind of shenanigans. Uh, no, he's, uh, I think he's an upstanding adult. He's he's wanting to get into the field of uh, information technology. And he's big into 3D printing stuff now. That's, that's pretty and, good. Um, I, I'm waiting to see how this turns out. My brother Sam, younger youngest brother Sam, mm-hmm. um, had something break on one of his rental properties, like in a cabinet, some weird piece. Yeah, and it's plastic to begin with. And Sam says he can't source it anywhere. He can't find it on Amazon. Can't find it in any hardware store. So he took the piece to Tucker and he says, "Can you print this?" And Tucker said, "I think so." And this is just a couple of days ago. Yeah. So I'm waiting to hear if Tucker could recreate that piece. That'd be awesome. I bet you he did. Um, you know, he, um, the last time, or not the last time, a couple of months ago when he was here at uh, our house, cause he got, he's got an old 3d printer here. He printed himself a little cube that he could put his raspberry Pi uh, motherboard. Oh, thing yeah. in. you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah. With uh, complete with all these holes in the back where you can plug your USB things in and you can plug a keyboard and an audio thing in like, and even a space where you can put a fan in. Like, he printed that wow. on there. And uh, I thought, that, that that's really cool. That is really cool. I mean, I know, like, in concept, you can print whatever you want. But there's just things I had never even imagined you could make on that thing. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the CNC machining kind of deal. It's Yeah. Like, it's, you know, you can make just about anything out of mm-hmm. a block of metal with a CNC. Mm-hmm. You just got to know how to do it. And that's kind of how I feel about the 3D printing. It's, it's kind of like magic to me. Yeah, I remember I bought him that printer, um, gosh, like five or six years ago. Yeah. And at the time, I thought like, geez, these things are so expensive. I yeah. want to, I've want i got to get one on the lower end. Yeah. I think I gave three or four hundred bucks for this one. And um, now, three or four hundred bucks gets you what was back then, oh, yeah. a high-end printer. And it's all about the media you can put in it. So this one that I bought him, you can only put this PLA plastic. Mm-hmm. I think it's called PLA, and I can't remember what it stands for. But um, the ones now, you can do plastic, like a, a, a wood-like substance. Like really? some of them, some of them that you can get at home do like metal. Wow! And it's crazy. Um, I think I hope he is able to take that far. You know, whatever the heck it is, he's going to get into. Um. 
which is another topic we touched on is like information technology and you know what, what he's doing as far as his distance learning now i know you don't have any kids <clears throat> you're probably so far separated from all this you don't know what's going on with the kids in school so i know you you probably don't have any opinion on that but like i think tucker is at an advantage an extreme advantage oh, yeah. to do the distance learning because that's right in his wheelhouse and i felt i feel so sorry for these kids that have never been on the computer or whose parents have never been on the computer. Oh, yeah. um, I don't know how they're even making do now. Uh, but no, Tucker's thriving on that. <laughs> He'll do well in college because I remember, you know, majority of college classes were like that, and I struggled with online in the college classes. Yeah, see, in my era, we didn't have anything online in college. It was all in person. Mm-hmm. But I think, well, but I recall when I went to college, um, that was when the internet was uh, quote invented yeah. when I was in college. And I remember it was my sophomore year in college is when email came about <laughs> and I actually, I got my first email address. And so I went to West Virginia Wesleyan college, but the, uh, apparently the way the internet works back there, like not every institution had their own server. Mm-hmm. Um, our server was from the university of Kentucky, Wow, which would have been like four hours <laughs> drive from there. Like, and that's to think of this nowadays, that's mind blowing that it didn't come from Charleston or Morgantown. Yeah. It came from Lexington, Kentucky. My email address, I can't remember it exactly, but it was something like David dot Denning dot some series of numbers at WVWC dot UK. Wow. Dot. And it, I mean, it, the, the, the email address was, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a hundred <laughs> characters long back then. You know, now they're, they're truncated like uk.edu, but I think it was like uk. something like Comcast or whatever the yeah. provider was. Dot, you know, dot, 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 dot. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I remember when the internet rolled out. Um, like, how old are you? 33. Oh, you're Megan's age. So, yeah. yeah. So you've always had the internet. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wish I could go back <laughs> and show people what the internet was like when I was in college. We. The first uh, web browser that we had, I can't even remember the name of it. Was it Netscape? No, not even. No, this this predates Netscape. It was a blue screen with white text, and there were no images. It was all text, and uh, like the ASCII character set. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? That, um, and then anything that that was um, clickable, or actually, at that time, there wasn't even a mouse. You could have all keyboard. Yeah, keyboard. You would you would hit like the down arrow to go down to your links, and any but anything that you could you know quote click on just showed up as bold in this thing in this blue background white forefront thing, and um, literally all we could do with it was look at uh, reference material. Yeah, I mean you weren't looking. There was no pornography. <laughs> there was no uh, no social networking there was no uh, espn or, or news outlets or anything like all we could look at was reference information yeah. for our classwork um and but i'm telling you what it, it it caught fire and it grew incredibly quick so you mentioned netscape um that came out i think the very next year it was definitely out by my senior year in college yeah. And uh, so Netscape was the browser followed by Internet Explorer. And now you look at those things. So Netscape doesn't even exist as a product. I think Mozilla, which is like the the engine or the language behind that, that still exists. But 
you don't see Netscape anymore now is, is Chrome or Safari or or IE. I think those are well. They're Internet Explorer doesn't even exist anymore. Does it not? Hmm. Uh, it's now Edge or something. Oh, so well, it's been so long since I've messed with uh, a Windows. Con- well, no, I take that back. I, so Internet Explorer still exists. That's on all the computers at work. Well, I, it's, let me rephrase that. They're not. It's no longer going to exist. It's, yeah, it's, it's not going to be supported. Yeah. going forward. Yeah. And I think I know what you mean. All those, all those surface tablets, mm-hmm. like the the hybrid uh, touchscreen slash keyboard things, they're they're the Windows Edge. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I never. The only time <laughs> I ever use a PC is at work. So yeah, well, I've I'm stuck on this um, uh, MacBook Pro. That's probably God. I bet this is ten years old now and runs just like it did when you got it. No. It really? <laughs> it really? It's, it struggles to load some of these programs mm-hmm. up. Like, um, I told you how we were going to produce this show today. It's yeah. all going to be live in quotes. Like yeah. I'm just, we're just going to record it and upload it. That's because I put garage band on here. Mm-hmm. It, I bet it takes 15 minutes for it to boot. Really? Up. Yeah. And even then when you click on this stuff inside a garage band, the, the little spinning wheel will go for like a minute at a time. It's wow. This, this is an antique now. Ten, at, at 10 years old um i haven't got rid of it yet though because i'm not sure what i want to go with going forward and plus like there's so much crap on here that oh yeah i am not certain how to transfer and i know that like there's icloud and all that but my icloud is maxed out yeah, I got with my phone stuff <laughs> yeah my no- i got a notification today it's like <laughs> you need to upgrade <laughs> Would you yeah, like no. to upgrade to your two terabyte? I was like, damn, do I have that much stuff? Oh my gosh, I think mine's five hundred gigs, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been maxed out. Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I, uh, I've seen, I've seen all this technology from its infancy. That's it's interesting to think back about that. And I remember I talked to Tucker about that. Like, hey, I, I can still remember a time where uh, nobody had computers in the house. There wasn't an internet. I can remember when there weren't cell phones. I remember. And he's just like, what? No. My first. You're pulling my leg. Our first computer had, it was DOS ran. I remember the old DOS days Mm -hmm. where you had to have commands for everything. Yeah. Our first household computer when I was a kid was an Apple IIe. Oh, yeah. And I remember playing the Oregon Trail all day long. I remember in elementary school playing the Oregon (laughs) Trail on the old Macs. With yeah. the, the screen and the keyboard all built in one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the, those god-awful mouse, the mice were those, had like the, the click buttons were huge. They were mm-hmm. like, you know, they're probably two inches long and they were the worst thing ever. Yeah. We've come a long way. Yeah, definitely. Now you've got all, you've got <laughs> beyond that in your hand. I have on this little mixing board here that we're recording on, I probably have, more processing power than any computer back in the 1980s. Oh, had. absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy. And then this little SD card in here, wherever it is, has probably got more storage space on it than any computer in the 1980s. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> the probably mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can remember um, getting a laptop in college. I think it was a uh, Compaq, which I don't even know if that company exist exists anymore. anymore. Um. I remember my hard drive on that thing was, I, I want to say like, uh, thirty two megabytes. Oh yeah, thirty six or whatever. Uh, I I know they go in multiples of four 
or eight. I can't remember. But anyway, like, yeah, 30 some megabytes was the hard drive. And at the time, everyone was like, oh, you'll never need more than that. Never need more. Well, look at the floppy disk that held <laughs> three megs. Yeah, right. <laughs> the floppy disk. I remember. So I can remember back when the disk was actually floppy. The floppy yeah. The big were, five and a quarter one. They had the, the, the hollow center. Yeah. And then, but then they went to that three and a half and the, the case was rigid, but it was still that yeah. floppy material inside. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the, yeah, oh, you won't need any more. Oh, yeah. The, RAM. RAM was measured in kilobytes. Yeah. Oh, nobody will ever need more than 64 kilobytes of and RAM. A video card? What is that? <laughs> nobody needs it. Yeah. Oh, that's going in the way back machine there. Gosh. Now. Um, then the dial-up internet. Well, dear God, the, the cell phones nowadays would have been like super computers. Oh, yeah. Back in the 1980s, 1990s. I can remember the advent of cell phones. Um, All the I, yeah, the bag phone. Yeah, and I remember my first cell phone. Um, I got my first year of medical school, so that would have been nineteen nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven. Was it the Zach Morris phone? Um, it was a uh, Motorola flip phone, the StarTac. Um, I think is what it was called. But the, uh, our uh, service provider back then was Cellular One. I remember those days. Yeah. And that was when you had to buy, um, you had to buy minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no such thing as an unlimited plan. And then you you only had service in a very tightly defined local area. Yeah. Outside of that, it was roaming, and you had to pay more for those minutes. Yeah. But that Cellular One plan, by God, it came with non-roaming local minutes. In Myrtle Beach. And that is when I discovered that Myrtle Beach is the southernmost point in West Virginia. You know, I've never been been to Myrtle Beach. You're kidding me. No. Oh, my gosh. Where did your family vacation? Truthfully, we didn't really vacation much. It was mostly Tennessee. Okay. And uh, down the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. Or Nashville or wherever. (laughs) Yeah, we never. My mom hated the beach. Dad hated the beach. So we never ever went. And. Whenever I got old enough to vacation, I just went to like Daytona. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, Myrtle Beach was, and I think still is, oh, yeah. the place for West Virginians to vacation. Like, they have a Tudors in Florida. I don't know why there's not, not one in, they need to put a Tudors in hmm. Myrtle Beach. You know, uh, well, that reminds me of, um, I got hooked on Permani Brothers when I lived oh. in Pittsburgh. There's a Permani Brothers, I think, down in Daytona. Is there? I'm pretty sure. Um because I remember seeing like their locations and it was like, you know, these seven places in Pittsburgh and Daytona Beach. Hmm. Or maybe it was Jacksonville. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, there, there's a Tudor's Biscuit world down there, huh? Yeah, somewhere. I don't remember where it's at in Florida, but yeah. Why there's not one Myrtle Beach is beyond me. Yeah, there ought to be. I think. Um, and then the, the, the percentage of um, rental properties down there owned by West Virginians is higher than those owned by any other. That doesn't uh, people. No, I think that's that's a fact I read one day. <laughs> Old dirty Myrtle. <laughs> we need to go to the uh, Myrtle Beach Bike Week. Well, it's always the week of my birthday, <laughs> sadly. And a buddy of mine, the one that lives down in North Carolina, is like, man, we need to go. But I've really debated it. But, you know, COVID kind of saved me from it this year. Mm. Saved you from saved it. Saved me from it. Oh, that would have been a good experience, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what else, dude? What else can we get into? Our, the timer's at uh, an hour 11. Doesn't seem that long. Which is a good episode. No, I, this has been a good convo. Um, 
I mean, we could talk about alcohol, but I can't hold a lot to Chris Reese on that. So, I mean, he's already he's already you know set the bar for that episode. Chris Reese, what? The? <laughs> just so you know, he still lives just the heart of life, even though you're gone. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh man, that's uh, that's awesome, Chris. <laughs> well, I remember when I I had him on. He caught me up. He was joking, but I thought he was serious. He said that he uh, had swam in Four Pole Creek on his way here, and I like I I thought he was being serious because that's just, how he trains. He yeah. swims in freaking Beach Fork Lake. Yeah. So I thought, oh, maybe he's training and he swam up Four Pole Creek. But no, he was joking. Like that's <laughs> that's how he got here was by swimming up Four Pole Creek. And I was like, oh yeah, that just went a mile over my head. <laughs> um, got to remember, you know. He come into work, like we're, you know, he was like, yeah, I've already, you know, I swam for an hour. Like, why? Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Who does that besides him and a handful of other crazies you know, on this yeah. planet? You know, they make boats. Yeah. <laughs> and they make cars. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about this. You, you started out, uh, so you're an RN now. Yep. Um, but you start out as like emergency medical. Yep. Start as an EMT. How long did you spend doing that? Uh, let's see. I started in, I've come an EMT in 08 to 13. So five years. You missed that at all? Uh, yes and no. Yeah. I could tell by looking your face. Yeah. Uh, and it had its days. Um, well, I'm sure that it had its absolute highs and absolute fucking pits. Yeah, uh, rolling an ambulance is probably definitely the pits. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you ever get the opportunity to roll a squad at 75 miles an hour, I don't recommend it. For real? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, dude. I, was, I had just become a nurse at St. Mary's, and uh, we took a transport to Cleveland, and I drove up, and uh, I was in the back of sleep, and the girl driving fell asleep driving home. Holy shit. Hit a guardrail. That's what woke her up, and she jerked hard left and rolled us on our side up 77. My goodness. Yeah, I bet that sucked. That shit hurts. Was there, um, were you an EMT during this opioid and drug crisis? I was actually out of it. Well, whenever I was in, it was mostly just, you know, people were overdosing on, you know, pills. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was mostly, truthfully, it was mostly um, lore tabs is what most, but it wasn't nearly, I mean, you'd have a handful, but it was nothing like it is now. Were you giving out in the Loxone? Very rarely. For those, I mean, I mean that's we the, had it, but that's I mean, still the treatment for yeah. that problem, but uh, it sounds like it was, it was, we did less was frequent, much less frequent. Yeah. I, uh, when I first started, when I was working here in Huntington, um, truthfully, I could, back when I was working, it wouldn't bother me one bit to walk any part of Huntington. I felt safe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, literally, I would walk, and you could say, hey, you need to walk here, and I'd be completely fine. Now, not so much. Yeah, no, that's how I feel about Huntington now too. Um, I mean, that's only that's been 2013. I've lived here all my life, minus my first five years. Um, we lived in Columbus while while my dad was doing his surgery training. But I moved here at age five, um, and then so I lived here until age uh, what age twenty six, twenty seven. I moved to Pittsburgh to do my anesthesia mm-hmm. training, and I moved back. So, yeah. I, I, w- minus about nine years, I think, eight years, I've lived in Huntington. And, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, folks, I, I love this town. I honestly do. 
that guy has a lot to offer, but it's it's not the town that it used to be at all as far as um being able to you know just walk around outside, congregate outside, go in certain places outside, you know, leaving your car doors unlocked, leaving yeah. your front door unlocked at the house. No, you you can't do a lot of that stuff yeah. anymore. And um frankly, I'm I'm happy that I live outside of Huntington. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm a stone's throw from Huntington, but um, I enjoy the privacy of where I am now and the the relative safety where yeah. I am now. I mean, I know nobody's safe anywhere, hundred yeah. percent. No, no kidding. But um, you know, we feel very comfortable here where we are. Well, when I was looking for a house, that was my requirement: was I want to live close to Huntington, but not in Huntington. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, let's let's get into that. So you live in Kentucky. Yep, live in Ashland. Um, you uh, have you lived in West Virginia your whole life? Yes. Yeah. For yeah, except for a short period, um, I lived in Ohio. But I mean, that was just yeah, time. yeah, that, yeah. That was a little hiccup. I know what you're yeah. talking about, right? Um, what um, I'm curious. I, this is so weird, and I think this is very common with uh, with many Huntingtonians. Um, I don't know a lot about these two states bordering us. You know, I couldn't tell you much about Ohio. Couldn't tell you much about Kentucky. What is there an advantage to living in Kentucky? Well, like as far as taxation or ta- services? Or? Well, Ohio definitely has a beat with the taxation. Yeah, you know, you, your personal property tax is non-existent, know, right? I mean, you still have to pay taxes on your house, but I mean, like, right? But you're not paying it on your vehicles no, and four wheelers and stuff. Yeah, you, yeah. you pay it when you buy it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Kentucky's like West Virginia; you have to pay every year, which kind so of there is personal yeah. property tax in Kentucky. Um, but is I it? Will, do you know whether it's it's comparable? About the same. About the same rate. Okay. Um, because I live in the city, whereas when I lived in West Virginia, I lived out like you know the middle of nowhere. Um, it kind of sucks. That I have to pay taxes to three. I have to pay state county and city taxes yeah so um and and that's what you see in a commonwealth state mm-hmm. and kentucky is a commonwealth yeah that's what i did when i lived in pittsburgh pennsylvania is a commonwealth so yeah. you paid yeah you paid federal state and local taxes yeah. and uh, i don't want to hijack your whole discussion here but in when i lived in pennsylvania i thought it worked so pennsylvania's state income tax was relatively low mm-hmm. compared to west virginia's um, the federal is the federal. I mean, yeah. like that's the same regardless where you live. And then uh, I think I paid one percent to the municipality I lived in. Yeah, but I thought that I got value from that oh, yeah. municipal um, income tax. There was not a drop, uh, not a, a flake of snow would touch the street before it got salted or yeah. plowed. The trash was picked up on schedule every fucking week regardless of how much you put out there oh yeah that's why um they uh they picked up the leaves at the curb um everywhere was just clean yeah um they did recycling you know the the municipality did recycling you didn't have to pay a separate fee and the and what i loved about that up there you didn't have to separate anything you just put it all in one bin oh really you know your green bottles your clear bottles your aluminum cans your cardboard all in the same bin the truck would come and get it. And so I was, oh, I can't say I was happy to pay municipal taxes, but yeah. I felt like there was value for it. I'll agree now, with that. Contrast that to uh, Huntington. So, 
even though West Virginia is not a Commonwealth state, we, we still have to pay some extra fees in Huntington or even in Charleston. I pay them in Charleston now because that's where I earn my income. But they, they have this home rule bullshit where they take so many dollars out of your paycheck every pay period. It's not a percentage. It's just a flat mm-hmm. dollar rate. And I don't feel like I see anything for it. Well, you know, user fee. Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, and, and Charleston has a uh, quote user fee. I don't know what they call it there, but it's it's actually less in Charleston than it is in Huntington. But so go, going back to when I did earn income in Huntington, I couldn't tell you what services I got yeah. for that fee. Well, you know, I still had to pay additional for my trash. I still had to pay additional for my recycling. You know, it's it crazy. Like, and none of the roads around here are treated yeah. in the wintertime ever that's when i really got pissed off when i was paying when they upped the user fee and then i mm-hmm. busted a tire on 8th avenue oh yeah oh in the pothole situation yeah. no I the, mean, the road maintenance is atrocious if yeah. i'm gonna pay you know i'm paying this and i'm still paying it every paycheck yeah because you even though you live in kentucky yeah. you, you work in huntington you pay for the privilege to I, work yeah, they, in this great city right they, yeah <laughs> so yeah it, it wouldn't bother me nearly as bad to pay that percent or that dollar amount every pay period but i'm like but and, you need to see something for yeah. it right or but you see this like weird convoluted street on the you know over the west end that has a sign that says your uh your user fee paid for this and yeah. like yeah a road i never fucking use well yeah no they're they're so quick to advertise the fact that th- this road was maintained with your user fee dollars but you're right it's it's an obscure out of the out of the way thoroughfare yeah i don't care about what happens on artisan avenue in the west end i don't or you know exactly uh, yeah exactly we need maintenance on hal greer on third avenue fifth avenue eighth avenue yeah 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 yeah, (laughs) and my thing is when they put the interstate through who in the world voted not to put it through downtown Mm -hmm. are you old enough to remember the super block in huntington is that where uh, Pullman is now? That's where Pullman Square is now. What had the big empty parking lot? It was. Just it used cheese. to be. It used, yeah. Well, it used to be. Uh, half of it was a pile of rubble, mm-hmm. and half of it was parking lot. And um, but that was the super block, and then the street that went through that that bisected the pile of rubble rubble from the parking <laughs> lot was affectionately called Cruz Avenue, and that's where all the cool kids back then went with their. Um, sports cars and their convertibles yeah. and you know they did this little drag race thing for half a block whatever um yeah that, so that that was like the high school hangout but it was designated the the super block <laughs> uh they always knew like going back to when i was in high school and probably even before that they they had always designated it for commercial yeah. de- development and that, that finally came to fruition and uh, I'll have to admit, I think that's one of the shining points of Huntington is what they've done with the downtown. Oh, agreed. Uh, the, that downtown in Huntington. Even though I'm still salty about getting rid of Chi-Chi's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that downtown Huntington was an eyesore for the longest time. It was decrepit, buildings falling apart. Um, and it, it took a lot of really motivated, really smart investors uh, to buy up all this stuff, um, get the shitty businesses out mm-hmm. of there. Uh, build brand new facades on all these buildings and then get, get good tenants to come in them. And then, you know, the people behind Pullman square, um, that was an awesome idea. And and, I hope all this stuff continues going forward. 
Well, you see what it's, you know, it's taken a little while, but, you know, they've got it. You got to look at where Robbie's used to be. It's now like that. Yeah. That little square with Austin's. And mm-hmm. It's a cool little, mm-hmm. little place that they've got. All yeah, that it's, stuff. it's interesting to think back what what all of these things were. And um, gosh, I've got I've got enough years on me now where I'm starting to forget what a lot of this stuff was. But I remember the, the wild dog yep. down there. Um, Robbie's, you're right. Um, I can remember when there was the Ninth Street Plaza. They had that concrete fountain thing that you could climb up in. There was a set of stairs up there. You probably never saw that. Yeah, Yeah, so that that was plowed over way before you. But (laughs) no, the Ninth Street where um, you know where the uh, Paula Vega Cakes is Mm -hmm. and like Summit Beer Station and some of those other businesses. There used to not be a street through there. Mm -hmm. That was just all concrete. You know where you just walked. You know it was just for pedestrian traffic only. It's called the Ninth Street Plaza, and it even went up to. Fifth Avenue, so the the space in between the uh, public library. Oh, really? And what's on the other side? The Huntington Junior College, I think. I think so. That was all just concrete. Uh, no, no street, no car, no vehicle traffic at all. No parking spaces. It was just for foot traffic. Mm-hmm. And um, there was this concrete fountain. It was like back in the day as a kid, I loved it because you could climb to the top of this, and there's like this little waterfall that went over. It was Art Deco in appearance. <laughs> um, but no, that got bulldozed, and now it's it's actually a drive-through street, and then some parking there. Um, I kind of wish that it would go back to pedestrian traffic only. Yeah, because you know what they've done lately. Have you seen where they've they've shut it down to vehicle traffic on the weekends? I think to where oh, really? all those businesses can have outdoor dining options, hmm. uh, outdoor seating, and I think that's only come up because of COVID. Yeah, but I think. Well, actually, ironically, Ashland just did that to, I think it's 16th Street. They shut down. That's what they did with it. It used to be a through street. And, and see now, how, now it's all like this little pedestrian traffic. And they have, yeah. uh, like last weekend, I think they had like food trucks come in. They had, mm-hmm. food tr- they had like mm-hmm. a food truck rally. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know any of the topography of Ashland. I don't know where in the hell 16th little. Street is. Um, I think I know where you're talking about. Somewhere downtown that you know that I'd yeah. try to stay out of. But no, I think uh, I wish that this would be like a more permanent thing for that Ninth Street. I think I wish they would turn that into a plaza again. Yeah. Where not necessarily because of COVID, I think it would just be a great idea for businesses to to be able to expand their storefronts out oh, yeah. or their seat. You know, have outdoor built in outdoor seating. Um, you know, to accommodate people in the, the spring and summertime and early fall months when it's nice outside. Um, but on the flip side, I think, um, they do need the parking down there. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I mean, there's the, there's the big Pullman square garage. And then there's that garage on eighth street that like nobody wants to use, which I don't understand. The other free Um, one. Yeah. (laughs) One of them's free. And then one of them you pay like a, a dollar for four hours. Yeah, the Pullman, I parked it a couple weeks ago, and uh, now it's all automated. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, um, and I couldn't get, it wouldn't take the card, so mm-hmm. it had to be cash. So I had to dig through the center console of my Jeep, and I found a one, you know, found, found a dollar. Mm-hmm. So I no longer get it scanned in the dollar, and it's like processing it. It errors out. Oh, God. So here I am stuck, <laughs> and it was like a push button, and I don't know where yeah. this push button is, but like the accent's definitely not Appalachian. <laughs> So I am stuck in the parking garage for like 30 minutes because they can't hear me. 
So yeah. I had to go to the turn around and go to the other exit, and there's people packed up behind me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is some bullshit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Good. Well, I think I have my opinions on that because I remember when they switched that. My opinion is this, that they probably can't find reliable employees to handle yeah. the cash there. Makes sense. I hate to say that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had this conversation with my brother Sam about how um, there's not a lot of workforce here. Yeah. There's a, a huge portion of this community that is, quote, unemployable. Mm-hmm. And and I'm telling you, I bet it's just, I bet you they saw so much theft in that. I, I don't believe that it, it was a matter of having to pay an employee. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I yeah. think it, I think it was a matter of money just passed through there. Either they didn't collect money from people, they just buzzed them through yeah. or or they pocketed yeah. it all and didn't document it. So I think that's just a way for them to track and ensure uh the revenue there. So if we're talking but, about uh, theft, can we yeah. talk about the tolls going up on the turnpike? Oh my gosh, I haven't <laughs> traveled on a turnpike in forever. What is it now? $4. At each one? At each one. So there's three of them, mm-hmm. right? $12 yeah. to travel down south? Yeah, and it's that much Gosh. for a motorcycle, too. Now, that's a crock of shit. Yeah, yeah, because it has two axles. And it's, it's the same <laughs> thing as a, as, a, as a vehicle. And I'm going to tell you what, like, I'm sure you've been on some other turnpikes around here. Like, I, I traveled a bunch on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I've been on the Ohio Turnpike a bunch. Yeah. The West Virginia Turnpike is an absolute piece of dog shit compared to the oh, other yeah. turnpikes I've been on. That's the worst road, worst stretch of interstate highway, I think, in the country probably. Probably. As far as the, just the, and I'm not even talking about potholes and stuff like that, just the, the design of it and yeah. the, the, uh, well, the, the, the slope and the, and the, the radius of the turns and stuff like that. It's awful. Remember back when it was two lane and parts? <laughs> yeah. Like when you had to go through the tunnels, it went down. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, they, they're going to charge you twelve dollars. Twelve dollars driving that. Jeez. I, yeah, I yeah I lived in this. You know, I lived there for thirty two years, but I, I get the privilege of paying twelve dollars each mm-hmm. way. Yeah, that's awesome. Now I will say, North Carolina has it figured out. If you're on next time you're down like around Charlotte, seventy seven, they have you know the regular four lane. Well, then it splits off to either one an extra lane or two extra lanes. They have the express lane. I've it, heard this. So it's five mile hours faster. So the speed limit is 70 versus 65. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have an easy pass, it all, they have tolls, though, as well. So it depends on yeah. which exit you get off of. It's all supply and demand. So that it changes throughout the day which exit. So you know, it scans when you get off, off of the expressway, mm-hmm. and then it charges you. But the greatest thing about it is, is North Carolina was smart. They were having they – were, they were conscious about motorcyclists – which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. So to get them out of the congestion and the traffic and getting the potential for accidents, the express lane's free for motorcycles. Oh, that's awesome. So you get on the expressway, it's five mile, five mile an hour faster. It's so much. I mean, because I was, I was on it, and the only person that um, uh, I really passed was a state trooper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like one car way ahead of me. But for motorcycles, it's free. So they wanted to get them out of the flow of traffic to make it safer on them. Mm-hmm. And it cuts out a huge chunk. Yeah. Well, I remember, so my middle brother, Ben, lives down there now. Mm-hmm. He's in the banking industry. And I think Charlotte is um, one of the banking centers 
in this country. But anyways, he told me when he first moved down there, he says, man, the, the interstate system down here, they're doing something really cool. Yeah. So this is going back. I bet he's been there six or seven years. Um, he said that they, they have privatized this section of the highway and they've made it to where you can pay an additional fee to go in what would normally be like a high occupational mm-hmm. or a high occupation uh, HOV lane. Yep. But what am I trying to say? High occupation vehicle. Yep. Highly occupied vehicle. Absolutely. Whatever the fuck it yeah. stands for. Uh, except you don't have to have a high number of people. You just pay to go in. Yeah. And it, so the, whatever company decided to construct this, he says it's not a state project or anything. Mm-hmm. It's a company that came in and said, we're going to build this and we're going to run it for you. And they drive all the revenue from it. Like none of it goes to the state, apparently, according to my brother, hmm. Ben. Well, the road is so much not. You and I said, dude, like that's, that's very smart. Yeah. But I think probably not everyone knows about that. I mean, not the average person, uh, you know, yeah. just driving down South yeah. on their, on their way to the beach or, or on their way to Florida. They don't know about that, but everyone local does. And I bet you they all pay for that. I was say, cause, um, I was didn't know about it until I got down there. My buddy's like, did you hit the express lane? And I was like, no, I didn't. I'm not going to pay for that. <laughs> and he was like, dude, it's free. So I went and looked it up. I was like, yeah, I just want to make sure. And I looked it up and yeah, um, it's on the, oh, that's like, really it's cool. on the website that it's motorcycles or do not require a transponder. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I mean, the road was super smooth. I mean, I just, I mean, it's cause I mean, it's literally just, there's like those plastic stick barriers yeah. that separate you from the others. And, mm-hmm. and then whenever you need to get off, there's a, you know, an exit lane for you. And yeah, they give you enough room to get from your lane over to get to the exit. Well, I remember, and this is going back a decade or more ago. I can remember that stuff being built, mm-hmm. uh, being under construction, but I didn't realize at the time that that was a private, uh, venture, mm-hmm. you know, until my brother told me about it. You know, now speaking of these, uh, express lanes, like this, my first experience with the HOV lane was when I, <laughs> I moved to Pittsburgh. Like I'd never seen that before. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just because it was, maybe it was a novel concept at the time, or maybe just obviously nothing around Huntington yeah. requires the HOV lane. But anyways, um, I remember the very first time I went to Pittsburgh after I'd moved there, I somehow found myself <laughs> in this HOV lane. So it's. And where it is, it's it, it's in the middle uh, of the northbound and southbound lanes of um, what was called 279th. I think mm-hmm. they've changed the nomenclature, all these roads now, but it was 279. So 279 was uh, the road that went from like city center of Pittsburgh up north to, to Cranberry Township where, where it joined up with I-79. Yeah. Anyway, so it was three lanes on each side, it tapered down to two lanes on each side, and then bisecting it was this HOV lane, yeah. which in the in the morning, so the commute to Pittsburgh, you could only travel southbound yeah. on it. In the like evening, that. you could only travel northbound on it. Well, somehow, I got on this thing, <laughs> and... Once I get in there, I'm like looking. So there, there's traffic on this side of the barricade. There's traffic on this side of the barricade, and there's no cars around me. It's like midnight. I'm like, <laughs> what in the fuck has happened here? And I'm like, wait, this is the exit I need to get off. But there, you can't get off of that HIV yeah. lane for that exit. Like, you have to ride it yeah. up to Cranberry Township, basically. Um, and then I remember like going to work the next day. I was like, man, I got on this road like. This road to nowhere. I couldn't get off of it. And they're like, oh, that's HOV lane. You're, you can only do that if you have two or more people in the car. Like, you know, you're lucky the cops didn't see you. And then, like, 
I swear to God, like every couple of months you'd see on the news, the local news there, like someone getting pulled over with a blow up sex doll in the passenger seat of their car trying to game that thing. That's awesome. Oh, dude, without fail, every couple of months, someone like they'd like shame walk them in front of the camera and they'd, and they'd pan over and here's this, this blow up doll. <clears throat> with the, you know, they'd always pull like a Steelers cap over its head or something. <laughs> gosh, I hate driving in Pittsburgh. It's the bane of my existence. Oh, gosh, I used to love it oh, up there. God. I remember last time I was up there, um, the Beltway around. You know, the speed limit's thirty five, so you merge on, and next thing you know is you're running eighty five ninety, trying yeah. not to get ran over, and the speed limit's right. thirty five, <laughs> and you got grandma beside you, like in her like. 1986 Caprice Classic flipping yep. you off because you're not mm-hmm. doing 95 like she wants you to go. That's true. I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, get me out of here. You talking about on your two wheeler? No, this is <clears throat> in, in the uh, in the Jeep. Oh, okay. Yeah, that I haven't been to Pittsburgh for a while. Um, Megan and I went to a concert up there when we were still allowed to attend concerts, and I think the like I said, I think the nomenclature of um, a lot of those thoroughfares had changed. Like I, there was a lot of stuff I just, I didn't recognize. Um, it was really weird when I first moved to Huntington from Pittsburgh. Um, you know, so I spent three years there to do my anesthesia training. Then I spent three more years there, uh, at the best job that I will ever have. I'll never make money like I did there or have a schedule like I did there. Um, no, but I love that town and i I, I learned all the neighborhoods and all the, you know, all the routes to get in and out of all these places. Um, but a lot of it was just unrecognizable as far as the interstate structure when we went back there that time. So you're trying that minor case this is, straight rye. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. Really? Which I like rye. Yeah. Um, I if, if I had a choice, I would not drink straight rye whiskey. But I'm looking at the label here. I didn't notice this before. Um, this is finished in a sherry cask, hmm. so it's probably that's gonna yeah that's gonna see. mute that that rye taste a I little. I'm bit. not getting a whole lot of spice like I yeah. normally do. It's almost like a it's sweet like a weeder, but you get a little bit of spice on the back end. It is very subtle on the very very back end. Now I was gonna say the same thing. It, it tastes more like a an all wheat, like a straight wheat. Yeah. Um, and man, I had, um, I think I drank it all. <laughs> I, uh, I bought three bottles of, um, Woodford. I bought like the regular Woodford mm-hmm. and I bought the, the straight malt. I haven't and then tried this, it yet. This all oh, dude, the straight malt sweet. I think it was even sweeter than the straight wheat. And that really? was the straight wheat was the third one I bought. Um, See, no, not- I went through that straight malt whiskey. Like, I've seen it, but I've not tried it. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't seen I haven't seen that product from any other distillery Mm-mm. ever before, which is surprising. Like, because I think, given the, the the bourbon climate now, or the you know, the quote whiskey climate, like there yeah. there's a niche for it. Because yeah, because I think of Woodford, I think of well, that's a safe bourbon. I mm-hmm. mean, it's nothing. It's not. Wow, I, I, like people that you know, I don't trust people to say, oh, bur- you know, Woodford's my go-to. Yeah, because it's kind of I'm kind of like is it, once you branch out of you know your normal bourbons it's kind of just vanilla it's just kind of yeah meh. it is what 
as far as like the uh, the widely available, like just straight up blends, yeah, um, it's consistent. I will give it that though. I always thought it was a little. It has to be a little more heavy on the rye. I think just its its flavor profile to me. Um, I don't know what their grain bill is, but I would say it's it's a little heavier on the rye than it is on uh, its other constituent parts. Because <laughs> um, I think it did have a little uh, a little spice to it. Now, and and that's just my palate. I prefer the wheated bourbons over the the heavier rye bourbons. Um, but no, I, this I like. So I think the the sherry cask finish in this minor case straight rye whiskey that has just... has really mellowed out the rye spiciness, and you only have uh, what I think is a very short yeah it's short peppery finish at the end. This is probably the first finished bourbon i've ever had to be honest really i've never had like i've never had angels envy which is kind of the well so here's the thing so i don't know if you listen to my um whiskey podcast whiskey versus whiskey i have not that was my bonus episode and that was in response to a user um user or a, a listener comment um so this is labeled as straight rye whiskey mm-hmm. you don't see the word bourbon on there do you no because it's not a bourbon. Yeah, so it doesn't meet all the criteria to be bourbon. Um, it's at least 51% rye. Exactly. Yeah, it, uh, the majority of this grain bill is rye. And then there's, so there's not going to be all the aging mm-hmm. uh, requirements for that either. So who knows how long that's been in a, in a, uh, ca- in a, in its initial cask. Yeah. Who knows how long it's been in the sherry cask. Because look how clear it um, is. I mean, it's very, yeah. very opaque. Yeah, no, it's very light in color. Um, I mean, cause just comparing it to the Dickel 12, you can see the, yeah. Difference. So like I've just, I have changed my way of expressing or way, way of talking about these spirits. I just, I just call them whiskey generically because yeah. it does get confusing now. It does. Like, I don't know a few years ago, I think in very recent memory, all the whiskey out there, uh, at least in this region yeah, or in this country, even, it was all either bourbon or Canadian whiskey. Yeah. Okay. With the, with the exception of Jack Daniels being Tennessee whiskey. Yeah. But uh, now. Did you know as a sister to Woodford? Yes. I did not know that till a few months ago. Yes, I did. Um, yes. Yeah, so, like basically the same process except uh, excluding the charcoal filtering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the new barrel. Yeah. Uh, but no, so now you can't call these bourbons. Like you used to be able to talk about whiskey and just call them all bourbons mm-hmm. because they were all bourbon, but now everyone's branched out and all these different things. You, you're getting small batch, single barrel. You're getting different grain bills, mm-hmm. different aging, the different lengths of aging, different aging processes. So they all have to be called just with a broad stroke. They're just called whiskeys. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the nomenclature such as straight rye, yeah. Or straight wheat or straight bourbon. Now there, there's a nomenclature straight bourbon whiskey that I don't think existed like mm-hmm. eight or ten years ago. Um, all are references to the the grain bill and the aging process. Um, kind of like uh, with with scotches. Dickel is a Tennessee whiskey, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is uh, we've got a twelve year Dickel sour mash whiskey you know what sour mash means they took some of the old to put in the new exactly and i think that's the only way to do it to be honest like yeah. you just keep that strain of yeast going and going and going and going because it takes i mean because 
most of if you look at even you know Woodford or uh, Buffalo Trace, how many barrels does it take to make? I mean, because they 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 sample over so many barrels to be able to try to get as consistent as possible. Yeah. So these these master distillers, man, I don't know how they do it. Me either. Their pallets are in another freaking uh, universe. Yeah. From ours. Well, look at like, like Buffalo Trace. They've only had like what four master distillers. Mm-hmm. I mean, four or five. It's well, insane. I think that's how a lot of these companies are. I mean, well, the 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 big companies, the big name ones, like Beam, yeah, has had maybe six or seven. Yeah, um, they're, they're arguably the biggest. I think Maker's Mark. Well, Maker's Mark's a relatively young company, but I think they've only had three. I think yeah. they're just now on their and third they, generation. This, they're still family business. Yeah, um, but no. So these these people like how they can just take a little a little dip out of. <laughs> I still my a barrel maker still wins like you know after because um, you know the, the whiskey and bourbon used to be big back in the day. Well, mm-hmm. then when vodka came on the scene, and everybody wanted clear liquor, oh, clear yeah. spirits. Yeah. So maker, you know, everybody you know got rid of all their bourbon stuff, started making all clears. Mm-hmm. Well, then makers their slogan was "It tastes expensive." Yeah, because it is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but no, you're right. Um, what these people do in sampling all these barrels and realizing that the very subtle yeah. differences well this has from one barrel to another and and then realizing how one barrel will mix with another yeah to come out with the the end product like and truthfully uh, it's amazing yeah. to me and then every bottle tastes the same yeah literally Tr- truthfully though i actually like single barrels better than I do anything i like mm-hmm. how i can pick up one single barrel and pick up another one right behind it, and it's gonna be totally different. That's right, and, and I, that's what the trend is going towards right now: is these single barrels and or small batches. Yeah. Um, because you can get just a variety, like you said, from one yeah. bottle to the other. That's interesting. I don't know if you saw my uh, my picture the other day. I put up on Facebook my um, I did a maple bacon old fashioned. No, I did not see that. I fat washed my bourbon. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I used Elijah Craig because it's easy to come with. So tell me about fat washing. So six, I did, just did six ounces of, of the Elijah Craig. I mm-hmm. put it in, um, actually I just used an old, actually maker's bottle and took about an ounce of bacon fat mm-hmm. that I had made bacon and just, I, it was liquid. I got it mm-hmm. liquefied, poured it in the bottle, kind of shook it up a little bit, let it sit for 24 hours on yeah. the counter. And then I put it in the freezer overnight. Okay, so, so you the, could take all the – it would turn solid, yes. the grease. So then I ran it through a strainer and then ran it through a coffee filter. Mm-hmm. So then I got done with that. I candied bacon. So then I did a shot and a half of the fat-washed uh, bourbon. And then I did a bar spoonful of maple syrup. Mm. Um so that's sweetener. your simple syrup yeah. or your sweetener, yeah. And then I did a piece of the candied bacon, uh, uh, just a ice cube, and then I garnished mm-hmm. it with, of course, with the candied bacon and an orange slice. Oh and, my gosh! And it was probably the best old fashioned I've ever had. Wow. Um, the only way I think I could have made it better <laughs> is if I would have like took some apple or uh, I wish I could have got some like apple wood chips and smoked the glass before mm-hmm. I would have started. But yeah, it was pretty amazing. That sounds like a process, um, but it sounds like that paid dividends, man. Um, I got a picture. I'll show you. It's, uh, 
It's the it's the hardest I have ever worked for a cocktail. <laughs> you maybe you have a second oh. career in bartending. Oh, and the bitters, of course. I've got two 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 splashes of bitters. Yeah. So, uh, what bitters did you use? Uh, uh, that just looks like Angostura. It is just Angostura bitters. Yeah, it's something off the shelf. They say okay. you can use the orange bitters too, and they say it's actually a little better. But that's what I have: is Angostura and orange bitters up there in the cabinet. I haven't had an old fashioned for so long. That that was my go to drink. Um, now I think it, as the the COVID alcoholism has set in, it's just like I'll just open a bottle and drink straight from it. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs to waste time That's making right. a cocktail from it, right? I tell you, my my new go to bourbon, and it's used to be super cheap. Used to be able to find it all over the place, but now that COVID's happened and it's just blown up, is Weller. Mm. I had another one in mind, but no, Weller. Because it's all, all it is is it's what didn't make it into. Um, into Pappy. Pappy. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah. You know, the bourbon that I miss that's gone now because of all these freaking crazy, I, I want to call them. Well, I hesitate to call them bourbon snobs. I, I think they're like, they're like bourbon investors. There's, you know, there's this weird thing going on right now where people buy bottles of bourbon mm-hmm. as an investment oh, for yeah. for resale on a secondary market. But one of the one of my favorite bourbons that is gone now, I believe, because of this phenomenon, is anything by Colonel Taylor. Yeah, uh, that stuff you used to be able to find uh, in Ashland any given day, mm-hmm. and usually you could find it in Huntington. Now I haven't seen a bottle of that. In six months or longer. Even, I'll tell you another one is, is uh, George T. Stagg. Mm-hmm. You can't find it either. That's true. Yeah. Or, um, gosh, one of my, speaking of Stagg, the Stagg Jr. Yeah. Was one of my favorite, like, extra overaged mm-hmm. bourbons. Um, that's another story, another topic. Like, the, the, the overaged bourbons, I think most of them taste like shit, in my opinion. Yeah. But that Stagg Jr., they did something right with it. I'm one of those weird people, like... I know that Eagle Rare is a 10-year bourbon, mm-hmm. and regular Buffalo Trace is, they say, about seven. Mm-hmm. And I would rather have the Buffalo Trace line with the Eagle Rare. Yeah. I just... uh, no, the, so let me tell you like how, how I got started into bourbon. This is very interesting, and this is another trip in the Wayback Machine. <laughs> so when I lived in Pittsburgh, I was a Scotch snob because everyone around me drank Scotch. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, like – I spent thousands, thousands of dollars in scotch. You know, I would buy 30-year-old scotches yeah. for $1,000 a bottle. Yeah. Uh, I was making a fuckload of money at the time, so it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would go to these uh, scotch bars in Pittsburgh and pay like $120, $150 for two fingers of scotch. Um. You move to Huntington, there's no scotch. I mean, you can get... Um, Probably Johnny get, Walker. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, they have the full line of Johnny Walker here yeah. in most places. But outside of that, I mean, you can find a McAllen's. You, every place has got probably a 12-year McAllen's, mm-hmm. maybe a 15-year. If you're lucky, you find an 18-year McAllen's. Um, but here's so here's the deal. I came here being a Scotch snob, and I realized that the older the Scotch, the better it was. Mm-hmm. Like it for some reason, the longer it stayed in the barrel, the more mellow it got. 
I don't know why. I don't, I I can't figure out the chemistry or the the science behind that. Um, I maybe six months after moving here to Huntington, my father invited me to go to some uh, event with the Martial Artist Series, mm-hmm. and it was a bourbon and food pairing thing hosted by um, Maker's Mark. Okay. And so this would have been in uh, 2009 or 2010, probably 2009. Anyhow, we go there and they have this, uh, the woman who's a representative for Maker's Mark. She wasn't a distiller or anything. She was just, I think, a sales executive, but she was very intelligent. I mean, she was, uh, she was attractive. She was well-dressed. She was very bubbly Sold. personality. You know, so like she was this person that you could listen to and focus on. And she just talked about the process of bourbon. Like what, that's where I learned that. But it's, that's what I love because, you know, I moved here with my, you know, there was like, what got you in, into bourbon? And I was, I moved to Kentucky. I'm not a UK basketball fan. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I might as well try to get into something of the culture. And I just kind of learned about how bourbon was made. And I was, it was really interesting to me. Yeah. Anyways, this woman, so she had all these products lined out for us to taste that you can't get at the store. Hmm. And they were, uh, they were from like, um, uh, makers white, which you can buy at the distillery. I know, I don't think it's hit the shelves yet, but it was what they called makers white. So that's the, that's the, what they call a bourbon eligible spirit. Mm-hmm. It, it has the grain bill necessary for bourbon, but it never went in the barrel. Yeah. So it's, it's clear. It's a neutral, yeah. neutral spirit. Uh, we tasted that and I, oh, I fell in love instantly. I said, this is corn whiskey. I've tried all this moonshine from people that, you know, claim that came out of their backyards, whatever. Yeah. This is real deal. Yeah. It, it tastes like corn, tastes like yeast. It was awesome. It was like, it, like drinking bread. Then she said, okay, now this is, this is our underaged maker's mark. It's only been in the barrel for, I think she said 12 months. Taste that. And like, so it's got a little bit of caramel taste to it. Yeah. A little bit of bite, uh, but it's still kind of like drinking bread. She said, now this is a, this is a maker's mark we put in the bottle. Try that. And it says, you know, we all know what that tastes yeah. like. And she said, now this is a maker's 46. And that's literally, I think the year they rolled out maker's 46. So that's, the, that's maker's mark. But then they put it in and they put these uh, French oak staves yeah. in it. Uh, sample number 46. I think is the reason they yeah. called it 46. So we tried that. And so that's a little, it's like maker's mark, but it's got some spice to it. And then she said, now here is maker's mark that we decided to leave in the barrel for 12 years, 15 years, something like that. Taste it. And everyone smells it, tastes it. And you can tell the whole crowd is just like, <laughs> and she goes, yeah, it tastes like shit. Doesn't it? <laughs> And uh, everyone's like, ha, 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 yeah, it does taste like shit. And she goes, now, this is where we diverge from scotch. And she she literally says, we don't know why. Bourbon doesn't get better with age. Hmm. Unless you have absolutely tweaked the process and you know how to blend it. She said, but not every maker knows how to do that. She says, and we, she admitted, we haven't figured out how to do, you know, extra aged bourbon. I wonder if it's uh, due to the weather. I well, or you know, or or the barrels. Like so, scotch is aged in old mm-hmm. bourbon barrels. Yeah, maybe there's something to do with that. But no, scotch, like every scotch, 
God, I wish we could get a hold of a 30-year scotch here in Huntington. You'll never find it. Mm-mm. But the thing is, like, I McAllen is just like a, a, a very widely available scotch. In Pittsburgh, you could get it from the eight-year all the way up to the 30-year. And I'm telling you, like, you could do shot glasses or whatever, you know, rocks glasses uh, from the eight-year to the 30-year. And every one that you put down up to 30 years, like, you're going to get to the 30-year and say, like, oh, my God, this is literally the best one. And you're going to convince yourself that it's worth paying $1,000 yeah. a bottle for that. But if you have a 30-year-old bourbon, yeah. you're going to say, no, this isn't worth piss. Yeah. Uh, no one would ever buy that. And that's the truth. Like, So there, there's a sweet spot mm-hmm. for bourbon, but apparently scotch can stay in the barrel forever I've, and get better. I've just never got I've never had a scotch that I like. Yeah. I, and I think it's an acquired taste. Yeah. Like I said, I started on scotch. I, I never had any bourbon. I mean, I, everyone had drank Jim Beam, Beam yeah. and Coke. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah. no one, no one ever appreciated bourbon back in the day. I don't it think. It was just a cheap way to get um, drunk. But when I lived in Pittsburgh, no, seriously, I just, I hung around with these people that drank scotch. That's what they, that was their cocktail when mm-hmm. we went out, you know, two fingers of Johnny Walker blue, you know, two fingers of McCallan 21 year, like, um, some other weird ones. I don't even remember. Uh, mine was always either a JW blue or I'd hit the McAllen 30 year, yeah. you know? And like I said, I'm paying $150 for two fingers of it in the bar. I'm not ashamed of that because it was great. And like I said, I made so much money when I worked there. God, um, I think the, the Johnny Walker blue has been the, I've tried it numerous times and I'm just kind of like, I just can't get the yeah, smoke so, has a weird, I don't know. Just now Johnny Walker, you have to realize it's a blended scotch. Yeah. Um, I, when it comes to the scotches, I prefer the single malts because there's, there's no confusion. It's like, there's a, there's a very singular flavor profile to it and a singular aroma to it. In my opinion, the blended ones I get confused on. And now I know that all bourbons are blended, right? Unless it's a single barrel. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's where I started out was with, with scotch. And then coming to Huntington and going through that Maker's Mark experience as part of the Martial Artist Series, um, that's when I said to myself, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to Maker's Mark Distillery because I have got to get the Maker's White. Yeah. I have to have it. Like, I craved it. That was best whiskey I'd <laughs> ever had. And I went, <laughs> this is hilarious, you'll laugh, um, I went there on a whim one day and I went through the tour, you know, not really paying attention to anything because yeah. I was goal oriented. I wanted to get to that <laughs> store at the end and buy my maker's white. And, uh, I said, yeah, so, um, I want to buy maker's white. And they said, well, how, how many bottles? I said, how many bottles may I purchase? They said, well, state law says you can only get three liters per person. And I said, man, I drove here all the way from Huntington, West Virginia. It's almost a four-hour drive. And this is all I want is a Maker's White. And this woman says, uh, we can get you as much as you want. And she, like, <laughs> waves over to some other staff member. And she's like, hey, come here, dude. This guy wants to buy how, how many? How much do you want? And I said, can I get four cases of it? And she's like, yeah, this gentleman wants four cases. How many signatures do we need for that? And they got some of, they got as many staffers as they needed to sign out wow. all the bottles I wanted. 
And oh my God, I, I drank on that stuff. Oh, I gave it away as gifts. Um, <laughs> now the, I can't remember how much I spent. The makers you got for your birthday, that special West Virginia blend. Oh yeah. That stuff was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. And I've not seen it anywhere cause I have looked for it. Mm-mm. No, I, I haven't been able to find it anywhere either. Um, the, I can't remember where I got that. I get that in Charleston. I don't know. Char- Liquor in Charleston is hit and miss. Yeah. Huntington is pretty consistent. Like, there's nothing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> if I go over to Ashland, I have some selection in Ashland. Um, but still not but a yeah, lot. Not a bunch. I think I might have got that bottle in Ashland, to be honest. And uh, I still have the bot- the empty bottle up there in the cabinet because <laughs> it, it's got, like, the blend yeah. uh, um, contents on it. Yeah, how many different uh, stages yeah. put in it. Yeah, no, that was no, that was a good whiskey. That was a damn good whiskey. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that that is what started my um my love of distilled spirits, uh, and in particular uh, bourbon. Have you had any? I've never had it, but have you ever had the Jefferson Ocean? Yes, I've never had it. Yes, no, I, I haven't had the last couple of iterations of it. I think I had the first, second, third, and fourth journeys i think they call it journey they call them journeys um and that's a very interesting product a very interesting philosophy (laughs) behind that uh sorry folks just tearing a wrapper off the top of a bottle of calumet farms um yeah so i mean it's a genius idea it is genius so for the uninitiated you know bourbon in barrels relies on fluctuations in temperature for the, the the liquor to go in and out of these barrel staves and you know at some point the uh, employees will rotate the barrels meaning they'll they'll roll them downhill or something so that the, the the point is to get the liquor exposed to as much of the barrel as you can um what jefferson ocean did was they put bourbon barrels on a shipping uh shipping ship Container ship, ship, whatever you call it. <laughs> Some big boat. Yeah, huge boat that sailed around the world so many times. And so the, the motion of all the waves and everything, this boat moving side to side and up and down, forward to backward, just sloshed that bourbon around continually and continually exposing it to all the insides of that barrel to see what kind of flavor profile they came out with. And it's phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. I, it's incredibly smooth. It's in, it's incredibly sweet, from my experience, um, and and of course I've already stated I love the wheated bourbons, which means I love the sweeter bourbons. Um, no, I I love that product. I've I've heard people swear by it, but I also heard people say that it's not worth it. Uh, but I would like- buy it, except now uh, I've seen it on the shelf now. So here's here's another another thing about that. The first few journeys of that you could get for i mean it was sold for maybe five dollars more ten dollars more than a bottle of regular jefferson's reserve yeah. so we're talking 45 50 dollars yeah. for for a bottle of jefferson's ocean i just saw in charleston the other day i think it was the sixth journey maybe the seventh journey for 120 fucking dollars hell no yeah no i mean it's great bourbon but i don't think it's that rare and that allocated yeah 
because I see it everywhere. I've never really paid attention to it because yeah. I'm looking at something else I want to buy. Yeah, so this Calumet, uh, by the way, the label says Kentucky bourbon whiskey. It doesn't say straight bourbon whiskey. That's the the straight bourbon is the new yeah. uh, descriptive, which means that it's bottled at a certain proof and it's been in the barrel yeah, it has for been so many years. So many years. I can't remember. I always I need to pull out my notes from before. Um, but there's, there's so but, many different but this versions. is this is bourbon, which means it's mostly corn, and it's in a new barrel, and it's been in there. I think the minimum six months is was what makes it bourbon. Actually, there's no time frame. No, no, you're right. You're correct. It can go straight through the barrel if they want to call it. Yeah, it's but it has, has to be. To but it has to be barreled. New char oak char. Yeah, oak barrel. Yeah. Calumet. It smells really sweet. Oh my gosh, it smells like brown sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got brown sugar on the palate. It's very sweet. I get a little bit of vanilla. Absolutely. Vanilla, caramel. A decent mouth mouth feel. There's like no spice to that. I know. Hardly it's, at all. You get just a very, very small touch at the back of your tongue, and that's it. And it's mm-hmm. gone. Gosh, that's smooth drinking. What percentage is this? I don't think it was very high, 46% well, eight, or yeah, something. Yeah, it's 86 proof. But, so it's just barely, it's barely over the, the minimum. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think if you were a bourbon maker, I would make it at the minimum. Oh, so yeah. you can make more, exactly. more bottles of it. And it's easier to, I mean, you open up your you know, the opportunity for newer drinkers. To drink. That's right, yeah. Because once you get above, you get to 100 proof. Oh, gosh. Now you're starting to get into, you've got to be, you got to be on bourbon for a while before well, you can tolerate it. And you have to be very creative in how you blend it yeah. and how you age it, I think. Because for, especially with newer people, all you're getting is heat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, gosh, uh, we need to keep talking so I can get in that deck on <laughs> 12 year um god that smells that's this is phenomenal <laughs> the nose is awesome isn't it? oh my god it's like liquid brown sugar oh so here's another thing we could talk about and i um so you had talked about using maple syrup mm-hmm. as the the syrup in your uh, old-fashioned yeah i made i did homemade maple syrup last year oh really and i'm looking forward to doing it again this upcoming season uh and i'm going to try to collaborate with um the maple syrup makers out in Wayne County. I cannot right now I'm blanking on the name of their company. Um, but what I did, I think I might've missed the mark, missed the season because I didn't, I wasn't able to harvest as much sap as I thought I would, but I was able to collect, um, I think it was around 60 gallons of sap and to make maple syrup out of that. I don't know if most people know, you just, you boil it down. Mm-hmm. You boil and boil and boil and boil. You get rid of all the water in it till what's left is basically all sugar. Just a tiny, a tiny amount of water in it. Um, here's what's laughable. That 60 gallons of sap that I got yeah. yielded eight, eight ounce jars. <laughs> so 64 ounces. Am I doing the math right? Yeah. 64 ounces <laughs> That's a of syrup. <laughs> so sixty gallons down to that. Oh, so that's a half gallon. So that's a hundred and twenty to one uh, 
reduction or yield, uh, if you will. That sounds like a crappy return on investment. Yeah, but um, I think that's because the, the the maple trees I have here in the forest are um, black maple primarily. Yeah. It's a very low sugar content, very high water content. Sugar maple yeah. is the one to get. Obviously, sugar is in the name yeah. of it, so it's got a lot of sugar in it. Um, but no, like it turns out on this property I have, there are dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds probably of maple trees, but dozens and dozens of mature enough maple trees to tap. Hmm. And um, I tapped 15 trees last season, and I think I think I may have tapped them too early. In the season, uh, but but it was confusing. So I I did a bunch of research. I didn't collaborate with any actual maple syrup makers. I just researched on my own, and the research said uh, sap will run from these trees in winter when it's freezing at nighttime and above freezing during daytime. Hmm. So if you remember how last winter was, that got very confusing. Yeah, in February, it was above freezing for a month yeah. and then it was below freezing yeah. for the next month. Like, so I, I wasn't sure when to do it. And I think when I, when I looked at this company in Wayne, they were running their sap way later than I did. So I, I think I, I just did it too early. Um, but the stuff I made was good. You know, I, I've, I've opened one jar of it. I gave one jar away, uh, to one of the CRNAs in Charleston and she gave me instant feedback the very next day. She said, we put it all over our pancakes this weekend and the kids loved it. It was amazing. I wonder what bourbon would be like if you finished it in maple barrels. Mm. I, to my knowledge, there's not a product like that on the I market. I've not seen now, it. I've had maple syrup that's finished in bourbon barrels. Uh-huh. And it's amaze balls. Yes. <laughs> but what if we do it in reverse? Yeah. I need to start a distillery. <laughs> now, uh. Speaking of which, the second taste, I get some kind of nuttiness, kind of a. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but uh, no, so speaking, of, I can't wait for winter to pass. Well, first of all, I fucking hate winter. So, yes. of course, I can't wait for it to pass through. I'm, I'm built for winter, but I hate it. But I, yeah, same. <laughs> but I can't wait to get on the tail end of it and try this uh, maple sap thing again. And I think I'm going to tap twice as many trees this time. Um, so you can have a whole gallon. Yeah. Well, and then another mistake. <laughs> uh, well, kind of a mistake, I guess, I made last year was I thought I could boil this all down on a propane burner. I went through. Four bottles, four 15-pound <laughs> bottles of propane to boil this shit down. What I'm going to do this time, I'm just going to start a fucking fire out in the oh, lawn yeah. and, um, you know, set a kettle on top of the wood fire. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could fuel it with maple wood. No, no, I wouldn't do that. I would never chop down a maple tree because I think I've got, I mean, that's like liquid gold. Literally. Um, no, literally. If you look at the price of maple syrup, like, craft maple syrup mm-hmm. how much you pay for that like oh shit the stuff you get at walmart is like 15 dollars for eight ounces probably yeah. i can say i bought mine from aldi and it was like i want to say pushing ten dollars for a small bottle of it yeah but it's a yeah 
it's a labor intensive and energy intensive uh, venture. I understand why they make it with the corn corn syrup now. Yeah. But it's not the same. No, at all. What cracks me up is Megan hates maple syrup. All she ever wants is that Aunt Jemima or log cabin or or ego shit. I grew up on the the log cabin. Well, so did all of us. I I only discovered maple syrup when I was an adult. And by the way, the the Cracker Barrel maple syrup is awful. Really? Yeah, not a fan. Don't waste your time. I wonder if it actually is maple. I don't know. It's I've bought a couple bottles before. It's just you know, um, this uh, this company I keep referencing in Wayne. I read something there. They talked a little bit about doing. um, I think it was hickory syrup hmm. because all these trees yeah. have sap going through them um it's just that some of them have a higher sugar content than others yeah. uh but apparently I, I believe it was hickory they talked about doing um and i've got a bunch of hickory trees here like my property it's amazing it's it's all hardwood trees out in my forest there's like zero pine trees out there which is the opposite of my dad's place, which is just a couple of hilltops over. Yeah. His is all pine trees. And uh, I know that his is a result, like his has been logged before. Yeah. A couple of times, I think, before he purchased it. And I know that this property has been logged before. I've seen the signs of it. But still, I think whoever logged this before was smart. They left some good, uh, some good trees behind. Um, and truthfully, um, actually, when I went to WVU, I took a wood sciences class. Oh, okay. So and, you, um, you know a little. You have some insight here, huh? Um, truthfully, one of the biggest things of the big hurdles of big hardwood and stuff going out um, has been the lack of forest fires. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you would think that you know forest fires are bad, which they are when they get out of control. But yeah. a forest fire comes through and. It burns all the small trees. Exactly. All the, the weaklings. Mm-hmm. So you have these, well, what happens is they get bigger and bigger, and they start weeding out all your hardwoods. And if you look over the last 120 years between that and logging, all the pine trees that used to be all of, like, you know, central uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. has all moved to Canada. The, you're right. It's There's hardly any pine trees left in central america uh, north america because, well, the U.S. because it's they've either been logged or it's been put out by little saplings of mm-hmm. just like sycamores because mm-hmm. they're very very invasive and they're easy to come up and and take out yeah that's interesting that makes sense um you know you know you i'm sure you're aware of uh the ash tree mm-hmm. problem um i remember talking it's been several months ago but i talked to some extension agent um in west virginia i said hey um do you think the ash tree is going to survive this? And he says, no, this will be wiped out in the whole continent, mm-hmm. the whole ash forest. And I said, well, I, I ask you that because every single ash tree in my backyard is dead. Every last one of them. And it's not an insignificant number. Yeah. There's a hundred of them back there. And I've been systematically cutting them down and chopping them up for firewood. But like right now, you know, if you like, I, I always wanted to, to do a, like a drone survey of my property. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if you flew a drone up there, you would see all these skeletonized trees out there. 
right now where, you know, where every other tree's got leaves on it, but there's these others that don't. Those are the, the ash trees that have been victimized by that emerald ash boring beetle. Yeah. And, um, but according to this extension agent, there's no fix for that. And it's going to wipe out all the ash trees in North America. Wow. And that's kind of sad because yeah. ash is a, a big product. I mean, historically, ash was used to make baseball bats, but I think it's very widely used in the manufacture of uh, furniture. Yeah. Um, I like it here. I mean, I'm not super sad about it because I like to have it for firewood. Yeah. It makes awesome firewood. Uh, I think when you look at, um, you know, there's these charts constructed by really smart people like how many BTUs of heat you can get mm-hmm. from whatever species of wood. And ash ranks up there somewhere in the top 10, hmm. maybe in the top five. I can't remember. There's a couple species of oak that are clearly like way, way up there. I think eucalyptus is one hmm. way up there. That's And that's not a tree we see in this area. But um, no, ash is good firewood. So I'm not super bummed out about it, but I just wonder what implications that has on um, – building materials going forward and uh that i don't know that that just kind of speaks to (laughs) disease and pestilence everywhere you know what what happens when this uh, you have it affect some other crop like a a food crop or, or a protein source or something i don't know rather interesting yeah, but it, it's, uh, it's kind of sad. Anyways, I I like where I'm at. Um, like I said, my backyard is full of hardwood trees, um, and I use firewood to heat this house. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I don't actually. I wouldn't care if all the oak trees out there fell over dead. All the ash trees, all the maple, hickory trees. Um, yeah, I could use that all for firewood, but. Um, I would prefer, I guess, you know, for the foreseeable future, I want to try to harvest some more maple sap and turn that into maple syrup. We need to talk talk some distiller into trying to uh, finishing mm. maple. <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. If this if this blows up, if there's some like you know, if uh, Jim Beam or somebody starts finishing maple, I want some uh, royalties here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we, we today. What is today? I I was on call last <laughs> night, so I've lost track of t- all time. Was it the twenty eighth today? Twenty ninth. It's the twenty eighth. Yeah, September twenty eighth, twenty twenty. We talked about this. <laughs> it's on record. <laughs> Oh, hey, hey, Ron. We've, uh, gosh, we've we've talked about a lot of different stuff here. We talked about <laughs> we've we've hit the gamut today. <laughs> Trees and bourbon <laughs> and motorcycles <laughs> and jeeps and a little bit of COVID, COVID and work, and bourbon and uh I um. Oh, let me ask you this: Who else? Who else should I get on this podcast? I mean, I I've got a list of um people that i want to mm. try to get in here um who, who do you who do you think would be interesting to interview oh god oh. that is a good question that's the rapper coming off this dickle dickle not dick dick l dickle so dickle is a tennessee whiskey 
which is effectively like bourbon, except they, they filter their product through a, um, was it, um, gosh, what tree do they use to make their charcoal sugar? I'm not sure. Sugar maple. I I just know they charcoal filter it, but I don't no, know. But, I, but it's from a specific tree. I'm just going to Google it. I can't remember what it is. It's a sugar something. I thought, um, yeah, we, we've all forgotten that, uh, we have our cell phones here. I have my computer booted up. <laughs> um, yeah, I try to do as much of this live as I can, uh, without any post-production sugar maple sugar maple yep yeah at least that's what jack Daniels. so those motherfuckers are burning down liquid gold the the sap producing (laughs) trees damn it but no most i think the bulk of um maple syrup is made up in, in canada or in the northeast u.s and i think that's just because the sap runs the most when it's well when it has that freeze and thaw cycle i mean obviously the the trees will make sap anywhere but if you're down south you're in tennessee or you know wherever uh tennessee whiskey is made i guess you can make that anywhere um the the sap isn't gonna run as much down south well i think tennessee whiskey has to be made in tennessee Mm. i think so Look it up. I don't think that's true. I don't think, but I could be wrong. It's just like everyone thinks that bourbon has to be made in Kentucky, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just that it's like what ninety five percent is made in Kentucky. Oh, like all of it, yeah. basically. And it's it's like ninety five percent is uh, true bourbon. The five percent is counterfeit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, distilled in in Tennessee. Fifty one. Oh, for corn. real. Yep. Has to be okay, in, and it has to. So be I stand corrected. Um. And actually, I was wrong. It can be. It has to be in a new charred oak barrel. The only difference is it's made in Tennessee and charcoal filtered. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, so brother, I want to see. It knows this one. This is another very sweet on the nose. Not as much brown sugar, but it's definitely sweet. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit more spice in the nose. I smell. But I promise you, this is going to be smooth no matter what because it's Tennessee whiskey. It's it's been extra filtered and twelve year. Wow, night day difference from the last one. Well, so it's hot. It's definitely got some rye in it. It's hot. What is the concentration of that? That's only forty five percent. It tastes hotter than that. Yeah. I know it's fifty one percent corn, but their rye must be up there. They must not have much malt. Mm-hmm. But no, on the nose, it smells very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. But in the mouth, it's very spicy. It's very thin too. Thin. I'm not sure. I know what you mean by thin. There's not. But it coats the mouth very well. It's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like this one. I do too. It tastes, but it's weird. It tastes hotter than the stated alcohol content. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah, and it's like it's like an an after, like it's after it's already gone. Then you get the heat. Oh yes, I mean you're absolutely right. It's <laughs> it it kind of lingers. 
It's, uh, oh gosh, it's staying with me for several breaths afterward. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Which there's not many high quality <laughs> whiskeys I don't like. I was going to say, there's not much liquor that I don't like. Um, gosh, there's a bunch of beers that I've not cared for, but. Yeah. You know, I think, and uh, I've moved on from beer. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I used to be a beery so much. But I've moved on from it. And it's sad. Well, the beer I do drink is not the beer that I used to drink. Absolutely. I've, I've drank, the more beers I've drank here recently have been, um, I've been drinking a lot of, um, like, hefts and wheats. Yeah. And sours, which I never would drink. Yeah. Well, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I will, because I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I... I, I think I said to Chris Reese at one point, I said, um, all breweries, especially uh, the huge breweries like Budweiser and Coors and InBev or whatever you call them, yeah. they should be highly respected because they make a consistent product that is free from off flavors, uh, you know, free from any contaminants. You know what I mean? It's, it's oh, yeah. consistent from one can to the other. Yeah. So that being said, <laughs> I've been drinking like nothing but Miller Lite and Mick Ultra for probably the last year. Oh, Whereas before I was all craft beer. Yeah. You know, I was, I was one of those fanboys. And, and don't get me wrong, like I can still appreciate any beer across the whole spectrum, but I still hold firmly by my statement that even the huge huge producers should be respected because they make a quality product yeah they do because i can go and the thing about it is is you can go anywhere anywhere in the world and budweiser tastes the same yeah and miller tastes the same and and even like there's a certain restaurant in huntington that kind of some of their craft beer tastes soured but you got mm-hmm. to think about your domestics, all of these big breweries. They get drank so much that you don't have to worry yeah. about the wines getting soured. Yeah, exactly. So I, I can appreciate a, I can appreciate a Budweiser or a Miller, and uh, now the, just as well as I can appreciate the the small craft brew. Yeah, my, my new jam is uh, the Miller High Lives. Oh my gosh! I have always been a fan of the champagne of beer. The champagne, yeah, <laughs> the champagne guy. You get it nice and cold, and they go that's down right. so well. Oh, that's right. Um, I just I don't know. Like I said, I don't get out much anymore. <laughs> so what I drink here is um, while I'm working, and so I need it to be light. You know, while I'm yeah. out cutting grass or whatever, I need it to be light. I need it to be consistent and drinkable. I'm not so much into experimenting with the beers currently. The thing about it is I don't want to spend that kind of money for a six-pack of something and get it and hate it. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is another good story about me moving to Pittsburgh. This is is hilarious, actually. Uh, So I moved to Pittsburgh, and my, my brothers Sam and Joe are with me. And uh, they helped me. We we rented a U-Haul truck. We moved all my shit up there. Got in this shitty apartment 
and we went across the street to uh, this Shell gas station, okay? And the three of us are going through this place, looking everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Where's the beer? Where's the beer? Oh, my God, where's the beer? And finally, I just go to the counter and said, where's the beer? And the guy laughs. <laughs> you have to buy it from a distributor. So dumb. I said, wait, wait what? He says, yeah, you have to buy it from a distributor. I said, okay, where's the distributor? He says, oh, it's down there by uh, campus at, UP, uh, at uh, University of Pittsburgh. And I, so I get the street address, and I go down there, uh, and it turns out you can't buy it in any fewer quantity than a case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, of course, that, that trip, I, I bought a case of natural light or a case of Bud Light. I can't remember. Because like we were moving, we were all sweating. Is my brother's like I'm not yeah. gonna treat him anything special. <laughs> but uh, so after I'd lived there for a couple of weeks, I said oh, I want to go. I'm gonna go to this distributor. I'm gonna get you know some good beer. And I can't remember what it was that I bought. I think it was like Stone or you know something off the wall. And I had to buy a case of it first bottle i drank i wanted to fucking puke it was awful yeah and you're stuck with 23 <laughs> more fucking bottles of that crap yeah um but then you know the longer i lived there the the, the, the scenery evolved and you they uh they set up these bottle shops where you could just go and buy a, a bottle at a time or a six pack at a time but my my first experience here was you could only go to the distributor you could only buy a case at a time i said that's that's weird yeah i came from west virginia you can buy this at a drive-thru <laughs> you can buy a bottle of colt 45 a 40 a colt 45 at a drive-thru and drink it on your way home but here it has to be by the case God, i remember while in weird morgantown we always wanted yingling <laughs> back when you had to be in, in pennsylvania to get it oh and yeah so we would we would uh it'd be a special trip we'd have to make up to uh go to the, the actual <laughs> state ran liquor store and be able to buy it Mm. And then that was the best thing InBev ever did was when they, they you know made Yingling available down here. Yeah, Yingling's an interesting brew. It's got it a lot is. of corn in it. Yeah, it's. Did uh, you know that? I did not know that. It has a lot of corn in the grain bill. Mm. Um, I now there's a, there are some beers that use uh, high fructose corn syrup. Mm-hmm. But I think a Yingling is it's literally straight up corn. It's almost like they're brewing whiskey, yeah, uh, or brewing, brewing whiskey, making whiskey, whatever. It's, but <laughs> it's definitely unlike any other beer I've ever. It had. is. It's a, it's unique, and it it's a good beer. Um, I don't dislike it. Um, I, I would, just don't I think like it to rises to, to the top for me. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to go to Pottsville to see it. I mean, I've never been to the brewery. Up me there. too, and that's supposedly the oldest mm-hmm. brewery in the country, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I um now this brings me to an interesting point. Um and I was gonna ask you this in person. I can ask you this in this podcast. I don't guess it makes a difference. Uh I so I am a Maker's Mark ambassador. Do you know what that means? Mm-mm. It's just a program you can join. You, you you can sign up at the distillery or you can sign up online, whatever. It basically just means like you're a fan of Maker's Mark and you get their emails and, and whatever. 
but um, you they put your name on a barrel of whiskey. Really? Along with like 30 other people, 29 other people, something. Um, and then when that barrel comes to maturity, they will bottle it. And I'm not, I'm not clear on this. I don't know if they blend it with anything or if, or if they just bottle from that mm-hmm. barrel. But anyways, the, they'll put that whiskey in a bottle. Uh, and you have the opportunity to buy a certain number of bottles, you know, with a special label, all this stuff. So it's like a, a collector's thing. Yeah. It's a rare bourbon. Um, my barrel uh, came to a maturity right at the beginning of COVID. So like, so and here's the thing. It's a big deal. Like you get, you get, uh, it's just like Willy Wonka. You get a golden ticket in the mail. It's really? literally a golden ticket. Uh, the size of like a half a sheet of paper. I have it up there in my files, like as a collector's thing, I got a golden ticket saying, you know, you can come and get your bottles mm. from your barrel at any time. But then COVID hit and they said, well, so our visitor center's done our our, um, uh, uh, distillery tours are done. You know, no, no one can come on site. Uh, I recently, I, in the last, month i got a a follow-up email saying you know we're going to extend your opportunity to buy this to the end of the year because of covid you know like they just opened this stuff up but uh, but you have to do it by appointment and um i have some time off the first week of october actually so i'm going to work this whole week uh and then i'm off the next week and I'm not off every day because I think Megan's going to work a couple of days. So I'll have to watch the girls. But anyway, so what I'm driving at is I want to go to that distillery and get my allocated number of bottles. Yeah. Um, and I want to ride my motorcycle there. I want to ride my street glide because it's got the yeah, saddlebags. It's got the cargo capacity. <laughs> and uh, I wondered if um, if you had the free time. Would you want to go? If I am off, absolutely. But I here's the thing. I just don't know which day I'm going to go. Um, I'm working, I think, four days next week. That's the bad part. Mm. But no, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And the thing is, as long as you're enrolled in this program, they give you an annual gift, and it's hilarious. It's every year around Christmas time, they give you a Christmas-themed gift mm-hmm. that will fit on a bottle of Maker's Mark. Really? Oh, dude, it's hilarious. Um like one year I got this little itty bitty set of earmuffs <laughs> that, that would go on the top of a bottle of maker's mark. The next year I got a scarf, which was, you know, maybe like six inches long by an inch, <laughs> an inch thick that you, you could wrap around the top of your That's bottle. Awesome. I got a shirt like, or a knitted, uh, a knitted sweater <laughs> that you could put over that. Um, I know one year I got a pair of socks for me, like so, it didn't go in the bottle. But a pair of socks for me that said Maker's Mark all over them. I can't remember all the shit I've got from them um, because this has been like a seven or eight year mm-hmm. process of me joining this in in the bourbon aging, right? Um, but it's really cool. You you get these free things every year. You get all these emails about you know what's happening at the distillery. They have all these, um, or they did pre COVID anyways. They had all these like 
foodie events going on where they had some celebrity chefs cooking at the distillery and you know you could buy tickets to go uh eat the eat the food and you know have bourbon with it and stuff um the the, the maker smart distillery i'm going to put i'm going to put this out there the maker smart distillery tour i think is the most intimate first of all the most intimate tour you can do yeah do you still have um, to dip the bottle you get to dip the bottle, but you have to purchase the bottle, yeah. obviously, and you can hand dip it. But here's the thing. So uh, I'm going to compare this. I've been on a bunch of other distillery tours. I've been to Jim Beam. I've been to Heaven Hill. I've been to Wild Turkey. I've been to Woodford Reserve. Okay. There's a few more out there. I I yeah. never made it to Four Roses. Um, there's a couple more out there, but the reason why I think this is the most personal tour is that, um, first of all, it's, it seems to be very small groups of people that yeah. go through this and it's, it's people who, and the, the people who lead the tour are like super knowledgeable. They're, they're people who have been there for generations. Yeah. It seems like they're, uh, they're old people yeah. taking you through it. And when you get to their, uh, fermentation area where they have these six, vats uh cedar wood cedar plank vats of stuff uh fermenting Mm -hmm. they let you stick your hand in there and pull out some of this corn mash and taste it no other distillery did this for us yeah i've had woodford let me they they gave you samples like they pulled out some, okay, and then they gave you like a little like the old ice cream spoons that you got back in like elementary school. Yeah, that's so when get. I went to Woodford, they didn't do any of that. Yeah, but that's it's been a few years ago. But I've been to this. Um, I've been to Maker's Mark, I think six times, and mm-hmm. every time we go through the their fermentation room, and they say, "Hey, go ahead and stick your hand in there and taste some of that." It's delicious. And the thing is, like, they don't care. Yeah. Like, no one person can take a significant quantity out of this vat, right? I don't know how many gallons are in it, but like, I remember the very first time in there, I went there, I just, I put my index finger in, you know, and just tasted it. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Tastes like banana bread. Yeah, exactly. The next time I went, I think I, maybe I put two fingers in. And then every time now I I do a big (laughs) scoop and I'm eating the little bits of corn off the top of there. And but no, they don't give a shit because yeah. like you can't change their daily yeah. process by doing that. Um, but that's and that's how intimate. Like you go, you go to, um, they take you to this little, little tiny building with a printing press on it, uh, in it printing press in it, and they're printing the labels yeah. for their bottles, and then they'll take you to the bottling line where they put those labels on the bottle. Um, then, then you go to the, the, the tasting room, you know, you, you sit down in some bar stools and, and they have their full line of stuff in front of you. You taste it and they tell you what you're supposed to be tasting. They give you a bourbon ball, which are you know, a little amazing. chocolate. Oh, they're, they're amaze balls. Yes. Um, they give you a bourbon ball or two and then they, shove you out to the gift shop <laughs> and that's where you can buy you can buy some whiskey you can hand dip some bottles 
Buy some memorabilia, T-shirts, collared I, I, shirts, whatever. I, I, it's on my to-do list. I will. I, um, I want to buy a bottle and, and dip it my own. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I I would really like to ride a motorcycle out. Not this coming week, um, but the next week. And if it's inclement weather, I'll just drive out there. But um, if you have the opportunity to go, and off. we can ride out on two wheels. I would like you to come with. I even have a tour pack on the back of my bike. So oh, we- hell yes. Yeah. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happens that motorcycle over here, and you people can't tell that I'm pointing over there, that orange motorcycle is the only one with a good battery in it. <laughs> <laughs> the other one's battery is dead. I actually have a tender hooked up to it, but it keeps reading error on it. So, <laughs> so I know the battery is dead. Uh, but no, my my street glide is good to go. I love that color orange on it. Oh, too. dude, that that was the color of the year. That's tequila sunrise is yes. what that's called. And um, oh, that is something special. It's got a, I think it's a, uh, I know it has a gold pinstripe on it. Go and maybe a red pinstripe. It's two two pinstripes on it. I think it's gold and red. Black sheep had a a, a one that was you know that. <laughs> tequila sunrise yeah street glide used for forever and mm. i remember when i went down to shop for this one i literally went down and i said i want a street glide i won't even look at any other bike and this guy says oh you know we got this black one and this blue one and this bullshit like <laughs> greenish one i'm just like None of these are talking about. Yeah, because everybody has a black Harley. Yeah, I know they, they do. I think. And he says, uh, "Well, let, look out here. Uh, the trucks out there, and it was a tractor trailer, mm-hmm. and they were they, like the forklift thing was lifting these bikes out." And he says, "Well, let's let's see what they have out there." And literally, this very motorcycle I have here that I'm pointing to. I wish uh, if I had a YouTube channel, you could see me pointing at it. This very motorcycle here was being pulled off by a forklift. And I told this salesperson, I said, I'm buying that fucking motorcycle. He goes, well, we, you know, we don't even got it checked in yet. You know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if we can sell that. And I said, "Um, no, no, I'm buying that fucking bike (laughs) right now. Write it up. Find out what I need to do to get out of here with it. Yeah. And the funniest thing about that was like, <laughs> I I had never ridden a bike of that size and of that weight before. And, uh, of course, they took my picture on it. You yeah. know, had me ring the bell down there at the dealership. And uh, I remember looking at this guy. I said, um, I can't ride this home for two reasons. I mean, I, I drove down there in, in my vehicle. Yeah. But then I, I didn't have any degree of comfort <laughs> riding that thing yeah. on that day. And he's like, oh, that's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll deliver it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going home. Uh, this, is, this is to my, ex-wife, my now ex-wife's house. <laughs> and I pulled in there. Uh, and this guy followed me there in, the, in a truck with a trailer behind it. And I remember going in there telling my uh, wife at the time, I said, please don't be angry. 
please don't be angry. And she just said, what, why, why, what are you talking about? I said, there's a truck here uh, with a delivery for me. And she looks out there and she realizes immediately <laughs> it says Harley Davidson on it. And she just looks at me. She says, you motherfucker. <laughs> and I don't think she talked to me for like a day or two. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, so they, they got it out. Here's the funniest thing is they got it out of the trailer and the guy is like expecting me to drive it into my garage. I said, uh, no, you, you can drive that in my garage for me. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> like that's how novice I was when I bought that. Like I, I was nowhere near comfortable driving that thing. And, uh, and I went out and I remember, I don't think it's the first time. I think it was the second time I rode it. Um, I forgot to put the kickstand up and I ripped the fucking kickstand <laughs> off of it. And I was like, holy shit. Like I can't park this anywhere now. Yeah. So I drove it straight down to the dealer <laughs> and I said, put a fucking kickstand back on here. And they're like, well, we can't just do that. We got to order it. And I said, well, what am I going to do? I, I, what am I going to prop it up against? And they said, oh, we'll keep it down here for you. And so I had to call <laughs> someone to take me back home. <laughs> The first long trip I took out of my road glide, we went to Columbus and uh, got in a parking lot and I put the kickstand down and it rolled just far enough forward where it got out of the little groove, mm-hmm. dropped in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I look like such a tool. Oh, well, I want to tell you something on the um, the soft tail. So the, the, the chopper, if you will. <laughs> uh, I can't remember where I rode, but I was riding back to Huntington on I-64. And, um, this, this bike had an open recall on it that I was aware of. The recall was that the fuel gauge was not accurate. <laughs> the fuel gauge, uh, did not tell you actually how much fuel you had. <laughs> and I was aware of it, but I was riding home and I thought, you know, I've, I've got another 15, 20 miles in this tank. Well, uh, uh fuck no, I did not. <laughs> I ran out of gas. The bike quit on me. Uh, probably about a half a mile before the, the mall exit, you know, I was heading westbound. Mm-hmm. I was coming back from Charleston. So I push the bike. Oh my God. A half a mile probably to the mall exit. And I'm scared to death cause there's cars whizzing past me at 70, 80 miles an hour. And I, when I go down that, um, exit ramp, mm-hmm. I actually hop on the bike you know, cause gravity is going to take me down. Then when I get to that stoplight, I hop off of it and I turn left and I go to that sheets. Yeah. By the mall. So I think my brain was absolutely scrambled. Like I pushed it up there next to the gas pump. I didn't even think to put the kickstand down. I let go of it and the fucking bike fell on its side. And I just said to myself, Oh my, fucking god and i looked all around that lot and yeah there was like eight people filling their cars up with gas that witnessed the whole thing yeah of course and i just very calmly picked the bike up put the kickstand down and proceeded to fill the <laughs> tank up i was just like and it did scratch um it scratched the derby cover mm-hmm. uh, on that side 
but it's just like I, I mean i don't know I, I pushed it there and i did that was the last thing on my mind was yeah. to put the kickstand down or what do they what do they call that it's not they don't call it a kickstand it's like a is it the jiffy stand or a jiffy stand i think is the right yeah. word yeah but no that was the last thing on my mind was to put that fucking thing down because i'd pushed it for a mile <laughs> at that point and i just wanted to get gas in it and it wasn't even my fault because the goddamn fuel gauge didn't work <laughs> i kept what i had my road king it was like you'd it would be off from every time you build it up. <laughs> uh-huh. I literally have a saddlebag gas can. I used to oh, it just for that reason. Yeah. Well, that bike, um, there's no way to transport anything on it. <laughs> but that, uh, the street glide, I'm telling you, like, um, it has a, uh, I guess, I guess they call it a reserve tank. I, I mean, there's not a, there's not a switch I have to throw yeah. or anything, but the the owner's manual says when the, the light comes on in the dash, they said that's your reserve tank, whatever. Yeah, you have like uh, a half gallon or something. They say. Yeah, no, but it's I think it's a significant amount of fuel. I think. Yeah, I know when mine comes on, I have like almost a gallon left. Yeah, I think it may be a gallon. Um, plus, I think if I remember correctly, I think it's five and a half gallons. In Probably the street six, because on six. Yeah, so that's a lot of fuel, uh, especially in something that gets forty miles yeah. a gallon. I'm know. getting two anywhere from two seventy two eighty a, a, a tank. Yeah, no, I I routinely get over three hundred on that thing. I mean, well, when I was riding it, yeah. <laughs> I talk as if I ride it every fucking day. <laughs> but no, uh, when I was riding it, it's it, over three hundred a tank, easy. Um, I have the yours. Is it uh, what size engine does it have? That's a 103 in that one. Yeah. Um, which was the option engine that model year. Uh, but like I, I think, like we said earlier in this interview, I think the motors on both these bikes are smaller than well, the, the standard engines. And the, the standard's a 107 now. Yeah. So, yeah. well, so I guess my uh, soft tail is a 110. It's, it's bigger, but um, they've moved to a. Uh, the Milwaukee Eight. Yeah, the, but that's a dual uh, air slash liquid cooled motor, right? I th- I think now I know on the one hundred threes they were um, both too. If you got like an ultra, the radiators were in the hard lowers, mm-hmm. um, and I think the same way with the Milwaukee Eight. The big difference with those is they got away from the twin cam. It's just one camshaft, and mm. they have uh, four valves per cylinder versus two. The two. Mm. So you have four spark plugs now too, and they say they are four yeah, spark plugs. Four spark plugs. There's two. Oh, in that's the, interesting. Two in the top and two on the side. Just yeah, it's kind of that's odd. weird. Um, gosh, that is that's revolutionary. It sounds like, but I think the the cooling issue was the first yeah. revolution. You know, going from air cooled to liquid cooled. Yeah, and I think there was there was a there actually, was a lot of resistance to that. There was actually a lot of resistance to the like the the, the oil cooler that's mm. on the front because mm-hmm. when they went from the Evo to the twin cam, there was that's true. There was yeah, a lot of fight of that. Yeah, so like there's a lot of the um, the purists that said you know you don't need all this shit. Plus, it's extra weight. It's extra stuff hanging off of it. Um, Who has never burnt the piss out of their leg by at a stoplight? 
<laughs> from that rear cylinder. Yeah, um, I have, I have experience with that uh, getting stopped by a train. Oh God! <laughs> I was stopped by a train on Route Two for like <laughs> it. It felt like an hour. It was probably only like eight minutes. But Jesus Christ, like, and it was. I bet it was the hottest day that summer. I bet it was 95 degrees out because even at stoplights, uh, my bike was doing that drop one cylinder thing, whatever they call that. The engine temperature system. Uh, But no, I got to that train and and obviously it dropped the cylinder. And finally I was like, well, fuck, I'm just going to shut it off. (laughs) Like, because you couldn't even see the end of the train, but like, oh, and I just, and I tend to ride with long sleeves on mm-hmm. um just because i think in the event i get tossed from the bike it's more protective sitting at that train for 10 minutes like i wanted to freaking kill myself yeah. like i was gonna die of a heat stroke between the rear cylinder and the catalytic converters that right there at that why it's unbearable mm-hmm mm-hmm things uh was it like uh, first world problems that's right motorcycle problems right (laughs) damn you harley for not you know getting me on the times buddy um it's probably time to wrap this up we're at 252 now jeez (laughs) i gotta work in the morning (laughs) so do i in charleston (laughs) um Aaron, it was great talking to you. Man, I'm glad you had me on. I'm glad you finally came by um, for a couple reasons. Like, I keep feeling like this is going to, this podcast is going to just fall on its face, die in its infancy because I have issues getting people in. Um, so I'm very grateful you you, you finally came. And I um, finally had a chance. Like, we had a, a really good discussion today, man. So, anything else you want to say in closing? I think I'm good for the. Until you have me on next time, hopefully. All right, man. Well, we're going to sign out here. This was, uh, gosh, it's episode five, I think. <laughs> I usually say that in the onset. <laughs> episode five, it may be episode six or ten. <laughs> it's an uh, episode. Featuring uh, my good friend Aaron Moore. And uh, we're going to sign out here.